fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And I'm Eric from Big Shiny Takes. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about not qualifying for tax benefits with my friend Vienno and Eric. How's it going? No, I feel... We are I've... one person. We are singular. <laughs> you know, was good we are to one say... friend. <laughs> I was going to say, how are you, Vienno? But I didn't want to leave out Eric, so uh, maybe... <laughs> Maybe Vieto, tell us how you are, and then we'll we'll tell our guests what's happening with Eric. Um, I'm alive. That's kind of all I got. Uh, it was really sunny today. That was nice. Um, yeah, not much going on. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of uh, why we do have Eric here. Was the uh, initially we did not know if Vienna was going to be able to make it for <laughs> recording, but then we yes. were like. Hey, let's just have uh, Eric on anyway. So, Eric, how 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 are you? How's it going? It's so good. I'm glad that my very free schedule is working out for someone. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, can you do that? I'm like, yes. Don't even tell me when. I am available. <laughs> nice. And, uh, yeah, I should say, Eric is from the Big Shiny Takes podcast. I imagine we have a lot of overlap in uh, listeners. But uh, if anyone's listening, they should. I mean, if if you listen to us. And us covering Ezra Levant and the rest of Rebel News. I'm sure you will appreciate Big Shiny Takes and their coverage of various media. I don't know. What would you. Article writers? <laughs> Is that giving them too much credit? <laughs> the Canadian media sphere? Yeah, I mean, we read uh, columns written by pundits in legacy Canadian media institutions. Places like uh, the National Post or the Toronto Sun or, I mean, if we're feeling, you know, adventurous, we'll go somewhere like the Globe. Um, there's a lot of really bad pundits in Canada. I think I think that's not like a, a controversial thing to say. The, the weird thing is, is nobody ever calls them out for it. They just kind of get to write terrible columns all the time. So me and two of my very good friends from journalism school, uh, Jeremy Appel and Marino Greco, we started this podcast a couple years ago, and we um, spend our time upsetting columnists. <laughs> as as you great. should. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. They also claim to be the only, or the world's first, or the world's only uh, anti-free speech podcast, and as always, we'll contest that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Strong anti-free speech uh, stance on the Imperial News podcast. Yeah, it's not a part of our branding, but we'll <laughs> we were we were around slightly longer than you were. So, <laughs> listen, let's not get bogged down in the details on who's more anti-free speech, or who's who was anti-free speech first. I think the important thing is that we can go have these on fanny packs that say anti-free speech podcast on it. Fair. Agreed. On that note, though, we will transition to the show proper, and because it's going to start off anyway talking about free speech, so we got to get right into it anyways. <laughs> so here we go. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> so we are covering the week of April 4th to April 8th. 
And uh, starting on the Monday, I guess there was some big news, which is that Elon Musk had bought a stake in Twitter and now has been... Well, the funny thing is when I wrote this, uh, <laughs> when I wrote the notes for the script today, he was being offered a seat on the board of Twitter. And it seemed like that was going to happen. And like El uh, Ezra and the rest of the Rebel News crew were just super excited with the fact that Elon was going to sit on this board. And then immediately, like yesterday, <laughs> Elon has come out saying he's not going to be on this board. So already, <laughs> before we even were able to record this episode, they were wrong. <laughs> but they, <laughs> they were pretty pumped for it. Uh, I feel like Elon was pretty pumped for it too, though. But then, why did he decline? I like I don't know if it was like he just realized that it was going to be super boring, and then <laughs> it was just like I don't want to sit on that board or or what. Uh, honestly, like I love that the rebel wants to be consistent and be inaccurate about things, like just like wrong about things before other people have even reported it. But um, like I mean. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, in fairness to them, like, the, at least the offering of the board spot, like, was made public. So they had every, like, you know, in their shoes, I think everyone was anticipating that Elon was going to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> this is, at least in the realm of mistakes made by Rebel, this one is, like, reasonable, <laughs> you know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 fair enough. Um, I was, I was also quite excited for it just because it was like oh wow elon musk is gonna destroy twitter like <laughs> that social media site's gonna implode in like less than a year if he takes over and unfortunately we live to see another day of twitter if elon musk was on the board of twitter like where would leftist shit posting go because it's not going back to facebook it's not it's not going to stick around. Like, are they going to, would they have ended up on uh, Rumble or some sort? No, story? we're returning to our Tumblr? roots. We're going back to Tumblr. <laughs> we're going to Tumblr. <laughs> I go back to Tumblr today. I would happily. I'm still there, baby. Like, <laughs> I just, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Like, Elon, okay, so Elon has a 20% stake in the company. So, Nine, so 9%. Okay, well, like, it was close to 10%. I, I rounded up a little bit. But but the thing is, is, like, what was he... What, like, he still didn't have unanimous control over the board of directors to decide what was going to happen with Twitter. Like, what, like, I don't know... Like, because in their mind, like, the whole week... And I'm not going to even play any clips from, I think, both Monday and Tuesday because, like, they spend all their time on this Elon story, which is so boring. But they're anticipating that Elon was going to come in there, remove censorship from Twitter. Like, censorship was... <laughs> There was everyone's just free reign. I guess you could post like terrorist videos and child pornography and like just free reign was going to come to Twitter. And then <laughs> and they wanted that. And then uh, they were also going to get Donald Trump back was like the two. <laughs> now, of course, they didn't frame it as like hooray terrorism contents coming back. But like, you know, they, they want to they're just like, we're not going to be kicked off Twitter for saying insensitive things anymore. Uh and that's what they wanted. But, like, could that even have happened? Even if he sat on the board? Like, I don't know. I I feel like Twitter wouldn't let anything affect their bottom line. Like, tech companies don't care about anything but money, if we're being honest. But, like, I mean, 
the thing that really bothers me about this is because like the rebel likes to pretend that they're like anti-establishment and then they like spend all week simping for the second richest person in the entire world like how pathetic is that but he's 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 a rebel because he's not the very richest (laughs) no but he's a rebel like the thing is they like all the cultural shit so like he spends an an inordinate amount of time in these two like monday and tuesday episodes just like sharing the memes that fucking <laughs> that elon posts to twitter you know the boomer ass fucking memes that elon is sharing and he's like look at the, look at elon he's just he's just in there just like messing things up look at it <laughs> and it's just like why like why do you like this i don't i don't get it and it's like me i like I guess the the one part I do get it is just because like every once in a while like Elon will throw them a bone in terms of like whether it's like somewhat transphobic or like uh oil is good <laughs> or the segregation in his factories. Oh yeah, yeah. His South African history. Heritage history. <laughs> Both. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I've, it's it's funny in hindsight because none of this is going to come to pass, but Ezra is super excited that uh, that right-wingers are going to be allowed on to Twitter again, even though, I mean, they're already still on. I mean, Ezra's still on the fucking platform, but he's like, he admits, and this is something that, like, I've always thought, but he, like, openly admitted it, which is that with <laughs> with things like Gab or Parler or these, like, right-wing social media accounts... Uh, you know, it's no not fun for them to hang around in their own echo ch- echo chamber, only talking to right wingers. And the one thing that like Ezra is looking forward to is like, you know, being able to like own the libs on Twitter. <laughs> He's like, you know, that's why Gab and Parler aren't fun. And it's like it's funny because like they never admit that, but it's like he he just admitted it that that's why uh, they don't hang out there, you know. It's no fun just being around right-wingers. I mean, I don't want to get too cynical about this, but I I do think that a lot of their engagement strategy, like a lot of other right-wing media types, is to get in fights with people who will continue an argument forever, right? A place like Twitter doesn't really care if the conversation is positive or negative unless you're like posting something and it's like this seems a little harsh (laughs) you're telling like a pillsbury to fuck off or something yeah like like, you're like okay um but yeah it, it doesn't the algorithm doesn't work like that like they love engagements and they love eyeballs on them they love negative attention um so i mean i could see why they would be excited but i don't know how Elon Musk would make that more accessible to them because like Twitter is the cesspool it's always been. I mean, I mean, but that's like the funny thing about listening to Ezra talk about this is he's still on the platform. You know what? Like, <laughs> I mean, he's mm-hmm. either found a way, like it's almost like the celebration for Ezra is that he'll be able to exist on the platform, but now use racial slurs. <laughs> like, like, I, like, he doesn't say that, but it's like, what else could you want if you're already getting the thing you want? Because he does, like, annoy people on Twitter, except when he blocks them like us. 
but <laughs> you know he already annoys people so it's like you're getting everything you want already like what is like I, I guess the only thing that you want additionally is the ability not to get kicked off for saying something transphobic or racist you know I don't know I do one major change that I think would make Twitter better is like still being able to say kill yourself like i don't know that's a major like loss for that platform <laughs> you just need one a year yeah <laughs> you have a kill yourself allowance thing <laughs> everyone gets one. Oh my god you better you better just like a button me. next to like reply <laughs> yeah 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 and can you can honestly, you accumulate them over like so it's like say an extra year you now have two if you didn't use it the year prior yeah, it's like um, an allowance. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that would lead to everyone saving up their, uh, their, you know, I guess you could call it a KYS. You'd save it say, and everybody would use it on the one. It person. creates a, a kill yourself economy. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, interesting. All the social experiments that uh, Jack Dorsey never thought of. <laughs> So we, we need can... to send this to the Twitter board. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dicking around playing with down votes or whatever. It's like, no, there's other buttons. You can try other things yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the interview segment, and uh, the guest is Alam Bakari, who's the tech writer for Breitbart News. And he's also there to be like, I'm so excited. And so, again, there was nothing worth highlighting here i do want to point out though like it's it is funny to me that alan bakari is a frequent guest like uh eric i don't know have you ever heard of alan bakari no but as soon as he said breitbart news yeah. um, i started laughing <laughs> so. well his history with breitbart is actually like kind of like fascinating to me in a terrible way which is that he was I don't know if he was always, but he at least was for one article, the ghostwriter for Milo Yiannopoulos. And it was for an article back in, like, I think around 2014 or 2015, where there was these emails that were leaked to BuzzFeed News, who wrote a huge expose on uh, Steve Bannon coaching Milo Yiannopoulos and Alan Bakari to write this article that was supposed to merge the neo-Nazi right with this, what they refer to as neo-reactionaries into a more like palatable form. And uh, they wrote that article back in like 2014. And like the other idea too is, is if you get a gay person like Milo and a brown person like Alan to write it, you now have like, they can't be accused of being like white supremacists, right? Like it, it was, and it's all in the emails. Like this was like part of the fucking plan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Using intersectionality to own the libs. I love so, that. <laughs> so it's weird to me because like, you know, we go back into the history of Rebel News Ugh. and, like, the reason why they were sort of, like, kicked out of, like, the sort of conservative establishment was because of what happened at Charlottesville and, like, Faith Goldie going on a neo-Nazi podcast. And yet they still platform, like, monthly. This guy who writes for Breitbart News who, like, laundered neo-Nazi talking points and neo-reactionary talking points to fucking uh, watered them down to make them more palatable to, like, the internet right wing. It's, <laughs> but you could you could tell like the angle they're taking because like, uh, 
I don't know, like neo reactionary is not like a, a common like phrase, but like this is like a bunch of like tech people who want to like go back to feudalism, but their idea of feudalism is to be ruled over by like technocrats. So like they either like picture like Peter Thiel or Elon Musk as like the people who go who are gonna like rule their fiefdom and like somehow make society more efficient, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like our technological god kings. Yeah. Like Mark Zuckerberg can just, yeah. Ah, it's so gross. Like, the entire well, idea is very unpalatable to me. But you can also see, like, they don't spell it out in this episode. I mean, they, there's a bit of uh, praise for Peter Thiel in this episode as well, because, again, Peter Thiel and Elon Musk both, both made their money on PayPal, right? So it's like this idea that, like, oh, these two great figures and they're going to like, they're so great and isn't it great that he he saved free speech by buying Twitter? And like, they speak about these people like they're god kings. Like, <laughs> uh, and, like yeah. it helps that they're like all remarkably like useless human beings as well, right? They're just kind of like schlubby, like 40-somethings that like couldn't change their tire <laughs> <laughs> or like change a light bulb or um find their way through the city like without using like uh their self-driving car like it's just like useless people the thing is too like they're both kind of known as these like you know big important ceo types that are like oh wow and it's like you know you remember like the tesla announcement of like the cyber truck or whatever when like elon musk went out on stage and it was just the worst thing in the world or peter Thiel recently was at like the bitcoin conference and he couldn't like say anything that made sense it was just like so <laughs> absolutely incomprehensible and these are supposed to be these like super geniuses that are so articulate and blah 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 or like whatever and it's just like peter Thiel was still like like, his whole speech there was about how he wanted, how, like, at other conferences he did, he would always just, like, hand out wads of, like, dollar bills or wads of, like, hundreds. And then he did that, and he was like, you guys are supposed to be against f fiat money. And it was just like, <laughs> that's all he had, was just, like, <laughs> handing people money. And then they're like, wow, he's so amazing. <laughs> just, please love me. <laughs> yeah. Peter Thiel and that's that's all they have right like well, well we were talking about the hyperloop last week and like this is another thing where it's like elon musk comes to the table and is just like oh i let's let's make people travel in these high compressed air tubes and then it's like engineers approach him and go yo we have high speed rail which is like right now available and can get the job fucking done and he's like no let's try something no one's ever done before shoot human beings at like <laughs> fucking like super fast in a tube that's air compressed that's what we need to do yeah and like the thing is that he doesn't really think about is like slowing down the tube it's like he's yeah. not concerned about that at all. It's like yeah. making it go fast, great. Moving on. It's like, well, Elon, actually, like, you're gonna liquefy a few people. And he's like, Well, you know. Yes. <laughs> now he's, he's smoking a blunt in Joe Rogan. He was like, Yeah, but like Futurama, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking traveling tubes, bro. <laughs> I will repeat my opinion that it is 
rapid processed soylent green. Like <laughs> you send people through the pneumatic tubes and then boom, food supply. You know what the worst is? Like explaining to people that that would like turn people into like a, like a slurry because they would like <laughs> slow down that fast. You sound crazy when you say it, but like if you look at the <laughs> if you look at the main critics of it, they're like, no, it's gonna kill a bunch of people. No, I mean like think about it too. Like, have you ever seen a compressed air can- canister explode? Like, <laughs> you're so it's not only like yes, like how do you stop this thing? But like you're in a highly volatile environment that like I don't know. You puncture if somehow like you know our infrastructure wears and tears. So we're gonna assume that this like compressed tube is gonna like withstand like I don't know earthquakes or whatever. Because even an earthquake it would just cause an explosion <laughs> as the air blows out of this fucking tube. Like I, I don't know. Just everything about this is is stupid. But. uh they're supposed to be our tech god kings that are going to save us, apparently. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's real tech god kings. Well, I, they're not god kings, but they're just people working in tech who are like, or engineering who are like, these are really bad ideas. Don't do them. Yeah, that's, that's like one of those things, too, though. Like, Elon Musk can't do anything that his company purports to say that it does. You know, like, it, like... Tesla does all these wonderful things if you ask their marketing department. Um, but the poor engineers that actually have to make that happen, like, <laughs> like one, they have to, like, meet the marketing demands. But two, like, the guy taking credit for all the ideas is, like, the most insufferable human being on the planet. Yeah. And, like, yeah. it's easy to have an idea, you know? <laughs> it's very easy to have an idea. Very harder to implement it. <laughs> Remember when Amazon was going to do like drone deliveries and it was like, whoa, they're going to implement this next year. And it just didn't happen. And in the few cases that it did happen, people kept like shooting them down. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's amazing to have ideas. They mean nothing. <laughs> I have ideas all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Literally every day I have at least an idea. Yeah, but what you don't have is billion of dollars, billions of dollars to <laughs> try out each one of your stupid ideas until one of them sticks, and then you get to write a bunch of books. How that one idea you got to work was because you're a fucking genius, you know? Yeah, you get to work. And that one idea money. is PayPal, which yeah. is send money th- on internet. It's not Tesla because he yeah. bought that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like people like to focus on on you know PayPal as like a good idea. Like I feel like a lot of people skip over the Neuralink thing and the whole uh, private highway under the ground, <laughs> like the tunnel highway. Like, like just... I was <laughs> I was doing my master. Well, I did I did my I was doing my PhD initially on like uh, cognition and consciousness, and. I mean, like, I I haven't been doing that work in a, a few years now, but like, I mean, a few years, I probably doesn't make that big a difference, but we're no, nowhere near even be <laughs> even close to something uh, like Neuralink to be able to be functional and working like nowhere near it. And he's it's, just like, oh, yeah, well, I'll throw money at it and it'll magically come together. And it's like, OK, bud, <laughs> sure. Jamming computer chips into monkey's ears. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, this will work. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I wish, you know, it, it would be nice, but it ain't happening. No. 
So we're on to Tuesday. I mean, like Tuesday, it's more of the same, uh, more of the, the the shit. The only thing, like, I guess the new a- angle about it is like he's he's super pumped on the idea that like, isn't it great that Elon money can or <laughs> Elon money <laughs> Elon Musk could just like spend his money and make free speech happen? And I'm just like. <laughs> I, I like I realize in their brains it's like money equals speech or something, but there's just something absurd to me that like in order to get free speech, what we need is like billionaires to like buy the platforms or something like this is almost what he's implying, like to save the world, to make it more free. We need billionaires buying platforms, which I, I don't think that'll make things more free. I get the <laughs> I get the distinct feeling that is not the angle we want, you know? There's a certain level of naivete to that idea that, like, that billionaires give a shit about you. Yeah. Um, that I think I think Ezra might have, like, a little bit, where he's like, he's doing this for us. This free speech thing is for us. It's like, no, it's not. It's literally just for himself. Like, Elon well, I, Musk only cares about one guy. I think they might be doing it for us if us includes people like Ezra and Elon Musk you know like I <laughs> there's a, a set a, a part of me that goes like yes like Ezra is I think ideologically aligned with a lot of what Elon Musk thinks so like there might be some compatibility there but uh but yes yeah. for uh, for Ezra's audience clearly no <laughs> I, I think the the point I'm, I'm trying to make is like Elon Musk is not doing it to win some sort of ideas war he just doesn't want to be bothered while he does whatever the fuck he wants because he's a garbage person. Like, and like Ezra seems to align with him on various shitty, uh, ideas, <laughs> but like, that's like more of a, a relationship born out of convenience rather than like Elon being like, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna teach these kids a thing or two. Like he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the last angle on this whole Elon Musk thing is, I guess Ezra wants to try to understand, like, because for, for Ezra, this is a cultural thing, right? That somehow these woke people have somehow infiltrated Twitter, <laughs> okay? The, the company Twitter, not like, you know, are just using it. And so he's like, well, he's trying to get all like nuanced about it. It's like, well, where, where did they come from? And he's like, I used to think it was like coming from the pe- the tech people actually working at Twitter. And he's like, but now I have a better picture. It's coming from the investors. And that's why it's good that Elon is like, dude, because he's an anti-woke investor and he's going to like <laughs> out invest the woke into Twitter or something. And like, I don't fully understand what the fuck he was getting at. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Because to, like, to me, the, the, the very obvious point is like, Twitter's just doing it for the bottom line. That's all that it, like, if anything, going woke is the good investment, you know, because that's what's keeping people on the platform to a certain extent, you know? I love the idea that Marxists have uh, invaded yeah. Wall Street, you know, yeah. like, it's just this, it's such a wonderfully dumb idea. Like, but he, it's... The funny thing is it snakes in with like the the whole like neo-reactionary idea, right? So like this is something we've talked about on the podcast like maybe like months and months and months ago. But the idea of like neo-reactionaries is that they believe there's this thing called the cathedral. And the cathedral represents uh, culture and, and like 
academia. And like in their mind, those in, those institutions, the cathedral has been taken over by Marxists. And like we need to like destroy those institutions. So they want to destroy Hollywood and they want to destroy uh <laughs> and they want to destroy like the corporate the corporate elite who are all now like Marxists all of a sudden. Like it's the weirdest fucking weirdest fucking thing uh on this planet. Really feels like a Judeo Bolshevism thing where it's like Yep. They in very in triple parentheses and like all of that like it's very much them in hollywood and them in the financial sector I'm, I'm, who are all secret secretly against the white race in whatever manner that's all those conspiracies about the world economic forum as well right it's like all these all these super super rich people and politicians are scheming together so they can bring communism and green energy <laughs> <laughs> to all these countries it's like what why why would any of those people want that my my favorite thing and he brings it up every single time he talks about the great reset is this thing that the world economic forum did which they released this video that says you'll buy no you'll own nothing and you'll be happy and this <laughs> This was like retweeted or like shared out by the World Economic Forum, but it was like an essay written by someone talking about how like, wouldn't it be nice in the future if like you didn't have to buy pots and pans? Like there's a communal pot and pan thing. And then we all just like use the pots and pans when we need them. And then they're not taking up space in our house. Like that is all this article was fucking going on about. And yet they're like, they want you to own nothing. (laughs) And they want you to be happy as slaves with nothing. And it's like, what? <laughs> I love the idea of like Ezra walking past a tool library, like shaking and crying. Yeah. Like, just, oh, it's so much fun. But it's, I, I mean, the, the other end of this is just like, it's not like Klaus Schwab fucking wrote this. <laughs> You know what I mean? They make it sound like it's some top-down thing rather than just, like, some asshole working on a lower level of the World Economic Forum, like, uh, knew someone who wrote an essay and was like, oh, cool, I'm going to write a tweet about it. Like, that's all it was. And then and then they've, like, run with it now where it's, like, it's it's a part of Ezra's narrative to talk about how, like, they are, in fact, Marxists because they wrote this article saying that you own nothing. So they're Marxists. Mm-hmm. I mean, fair <laughs> enough, right? true (laughs) this is how we're gonna win (laughs) take away the pots and pans (laughs) yeah we we win by like retweeted uh world economic forum uh messages Uh, that's how we win first they came for the pots and pans and i did not speak up (laughs) oh lord okay so we're finally done with that shit no more (laughs) no more elon no more of that shit uh those i mean like we i think i had more fun talking with you two about it than listening to ezra for two days straight fucking drone on about this crap so uh wow what an accomplishment talking to friends (laughs) is more fun than listening to ezra well i mean like (laughs) you know this i i expected that this topic might have been boring (laughs) regardless (laughs) you know but like we made fun of it that's what i'm saying so we get to the interview segment, at least on the Tuesday, and uh, we get someone that's been common on Ezra's show, 
But uh, I imagine it's another human being that you've never heard of, Eric. Someone named Janine Yunez. Never. Janine Janine Yunez is uh, self-identified a super left-wing, radical left-wing person who... (laughs) Who works for a libertarian uh, civil liberties alliance that's funded by the Koch family and uh, is just a terrible human being. <laughs> but she, she, uh, she came into Ezra's sphere, I guess, during the pandemic because even though she was a lefty, she couldn't believe that her lefty friends were in favor of like Pfizer and the, the biomedical establishment and... Uh, so now she works for a Coke-funded law firm. Is basically <laughs> how it works. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel like anybody who ever prefaces anything with "I'm I'm about as left as they come" <laughs> is about to say some like egregiously awful shit. Like uh, one of my favorite iTunes reviews we ever got on the podcast came from a woman who who suggested that we listen or we tried to sound more like another podcast she really liked. And then she sent us a link to uh, Sam Harris podcast. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then we bullied her for like 15 minutes. And then she left us like a one-star review, which we still have. (laughs) iTunes won't take it down. So, Well, (laughs) I hope I never get compared to Sam Harris, my God. (laughs) But yes, a very similar figure, I guess, in that like there's... Well, Sam... Sam Moore has just always pretend, like pretended to be a centrist more than a leftist, I think. But like the same type of vibe holds because he's he's way more right wing than he leads on, uh, yeah. for sure. Eunice is interesting because she used to be like very, especially her first few appearances on Ezra's. But I have to admit, like this episode, uh, she came on and she didn't say that she was a left winger. It's uh, but that that was, I mean, she didn't say what she was politically but like the point is is like her first few appearances it came out very strong like i'm a lefty super left like trust me my lefty bona fides are huge (laughs) on twitter she now describes herself as politically homeless so she's transcended ideology formerly left or whatever yeah it used to be lefty against the lockdowns or something like that used to be what her like twitter handle was her handle is Lefty Lockdowns One, yeah, but okay. her her bio says formerly left leaning, now politically homeless. Oh. So she's so. she's Dave Rubin in it up, Dave Dave Rubin <laughs> yeah. Rubin in it. I can't do it. Uh, but she's on because uh, she's now representing a woman who lost her job after criticizing the mayor of New York because the mayor of New York has not lifted the mandate for kids being masked. So this was news to me. Apparently, Mayor Eric Adams of New York has kept in place a mask mandate for children five years or younger. And the stated reason is because they're still not able to receive a vaccine. So he's like, we just keep the mask then, which I think, you know, like, I know a lot of people criticize Eric Adams. I criticize Eric Adams, but I'm like, on this point, why not give him the, the th- good old thumbs up for this? Why not? Uh, yeah, I was. I mean, uh... maybe... <laughs> I was going to say the only reason that he probably didn't lift the the mask mandate because he was too busy trying to push through more funding for police. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I mean, like you could also criticize him by like, why? Why just there? Why not just still make everyone wear masks? I don't know. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> so I guess he was doing a prep press briefing and an employee of the city uh, named Daniela Jempel, who provides legal representation for city staff, she showed up to this press briefing and challenged Eric on why he is still having mask mandates for children. And then once this happened, shortly afterwards, she was fired. Now, she was on maternity leave at the time, and so uh, she wasn't even currently working, but she was fired shortly after. And so then Janine is now representing this woman, saying she was, uh, you know, the firing was uncalled for and trying to, like, get her job back or whatever, or at least get compensation from the city for firing her uh, for, you know, reasons that were uncalled for. Now, the thing is, part of me is, like, I personally don't care if somebody... Uh, storms into a thing and shout like shouts at the mayor or whatever like you know if you ask me at the end of the day should she be fired i'm probably like ah, i don't know but so here's the thing the reason given by the city for why she was fired was that apparently she lied about being a reporter to get into the event so they're like i don't know you're gonna be a lawyer now you're lying so it's it's getting into some issues there but then it turns out that she was already under review for some spicy tweets that she had made about the people she defended as a lawyer for the city. So she was saying things like, uh, uh, oh, I, I'm representing like cops who are molesting people. And like, I'm yes. and like she like went on a, a tirade about it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and part of me is like, again, I'm kind of like cool. But it's like if you're a lawyer for the city, it's probably... Not a part of your job description to go spouting out the things that you do as She's a lawyer. Like, they are not going to win this case. <laughs> the one specific one that I remember was teachers molesting students. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. And she was just like, I have proudly served this city until today. And and, and again, the reason why she's angry is because her toddler will have to be masked. That is... Yeah. <laughs> She's gonna. She's defended molesters, but like at the end of the day, the thing that pisses her off the most, having her kid masked. I saw that tweet. Yeah. I saw that tweet. Yeah. This, this is the question. Um, if she was on mat leave, presumably raising her child, and then she was posing as a reporter to ambush the mayor to ask her questions about the the thing that she thinks is harming her child. Where was her child in all of this? Like, <laughs> was, was the child with her? Did she just like Could leave have been in the with car the, with the other parent? You don't know. Oh, listen, like, there's there's lots of reasons to wildly speculate about this, and mostly because it's fun. Um, no, <laughs> I feel like yeah, should... she she trained the the toddler to go after the police so she could have some cover to ask the question. See, the baby was also yeah, she... dressed as a reporter. <laughs> The baby was dressed as the mic. <laughs> See? I just, like, leaned it over. So I, I am going to play the very first clip here, which is Janine. So Janine's talking to Ezra about this, and they finally... It takes them a while to get there, but it comes out, Janine admits that she, uh, they're, they're saying that she lied about being a reporter. And so this is now Janine and Ezra having an exchange uh, about the fact that she lied. The other aspect of this is that they claim that she lied and said that she 
was press in order to get in. Um, first of all, I spoke to some people who were there and that's not that wasn't the case. Anybody could just walk in. You didn't have to be press. Also, Daniela has an active Twitter account where she's been criticizing the mayor and others for these policies. So in a way, she is press. Uh, so that that, in my opinion, is a uh, is not a valid reason that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And even if uh, she said she would press and she's not. And like you say, what is journalism other than doing journalism? It's 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 yeah. not a it's not a profession. It's not like impersonating a doctor or something. Right, right. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> what, what constitutes being a journalist is going to become oddly relevant for, for this episode. But uh, I guess we're going to start here. Uh, it, was Daniela being a journalist? <laughs> <laughs> I loved the way that she, she framed that argument. It was, you know, I talked to a lot of people who were there, um, and they said, I don't know. People could get in. No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyways, um, she was talking shit about her boss constantly online, and that's kind of like being a journalist, right? Yeah. And then Ezra <laughs> follows up with like, "What is journalism yeah. even, anyways?" Like, <laughs> what even is journalism? But it's, like, I love how it's like, in a way, it's like such a like weird lawyer move. It's like, it's like for one. She was allowed to be there, but even if she wasn't allowed to be there, she was the thing she's. They're saying she wasn't, so therefore, <laughs> would have been okay anyways. <laughs> Don't you know that every human being that exists is a journalist? By, they all record and document their own lives in various ways. By Ezra's definition, he really wants journalists to be everything, which like philosophically speaking i'm kind of okay with that like at the end of the day i don't really care but like as we're going to find out later in this episode when it comes for like defining what counts as a journalist for tax purposes some lines are gonna have to be drawn <laughs> you know <laughs> spoiler alert but like for ezra it's like but everyone's a journalist man it's just if you think about it, aren't we all just reporting all the I you like things are coming out of my mouth that's reporting on it. So we're all journalists, man. You know he's right. <laughs> <laughs> if Ezra said this with a blunt in his hand, then it it would have been fine, you know? Do you think he clipped this and then sent it to the PMO to be like, why didn't you Wait. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was the leading thing in his um, lawsuit document. Actually, <laughs> it was just a link, being like, "Hey, listen to this this time stamp in our Tuesday podcast." <laughs> it would be amazing, uh, and we're gonna get to the legal briefing uh, in the next coming days. But like, uh, <laughs> if, the, if his only like legal brief to being denied this tax thing was just like line one, but everyone's a journalist, man. <laughs> That's just it. That's the whole legal argument. So, uh... I think that should be every legal argument. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Ezra then expresses that he... uh, This is kind of going off the topic of journalism, but, like, uh, it's the only other thing worth clipping out of this stupid interview. But apparently he's... It it really, like, dawns on him how, like, terrible uh, the masking of children is. So uh, he wanted to comment on that. I actually didn't know that New York City imposes masks 
on children of such tender years. I mean, it's been a while since my kids were as little as two, but I can't imagine forcing a two-year-old to have a mask on. It would just be so unnatural and uncomfortable. They'd be fidgeting. It's just, it feels so brutal and abusive. (laughs) It feels so brutal and abusive. I... (laughs) The, the funny thing is, like my t- because my child was two when the pandemic started, totally comfortable wearing a mask. It like it did not bother her whatsoever. But like even I'm just like uh, I don't know. What about like wearing glasses or something? Like uh, like the the child will be fidgeting with them. They're uncomfortable. It's not natural. It's it's abusive getting your two year old to wear glasses. Like just like these arguments are so silly. They're so, yeah. They're I mean, it's a little on the nose to call them childish, but they're childish, right? Like, um, I constantly forget that I'm wearing a mask while I'm wearing it because I don't have baby bird lungs <laughs> and and a manufactured grievance against the, the state for having, you know, the tiniest uh, mandated protections for my own benefit. Now we don't have those. So like so now I just wear a mask to upset people mostly. Um <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know, just like everything about this is it, I mean like in a sense what he's saying here is also dangerous because if you're saying like getting a 2-year-old to wear a mask is abusive and then like what if like some uh you know the t- types of people who t- tune into Ezra every week and hear Ezra constantly using that language when referring to kids wearing masks. And then they go out in the wild and see a parent who's like, you know, realizes their child's not vaccinated yet and puts a mask on them. And then like you have people yelling at them that they're like being abusive to the kids. And like, how far is that going to go? You know, I would like to ask Ezra his opinion on spanking children. (laughs) Yep. That's it. Like, (laughs) I mean, like that is the other, like, it's so weird because it's like it's coming from the state and like that's usually what they like hyper focus in on as being the problem but they're also the type of people who to be like the family is sovereign and that we should get everything out of the the state and let like families do family stuff i don't know like that's usually like we we shouldn't let the, the schools teach them sex education uh I mean, that was one thing that came up this week is uh, stuff about the don't gay, uh, don't say gay bill in Florida. But like, he didn't say much other than to deny that it is the don't say gay bill. He's like, they don't even mention say the word gay in the bill, so it can't be the don't say gay bill. Uh, so <laughs> uh, but like, part of the bill is to like not teach kids anything about sexuality because in their minds, that's like that's how you indoctrinate and groom people. Where like they should be taught at home by the parents, like as if like the family is is sacred. Because, you know, no abuse ever happens in the family, ever. It's... Ever. It's never <laughs> happened. Nope. <laughs> Not one so... time. <laughs> so now we're on to Wednesday. And uh, Ezra wants to talk about uh, the member of parliament, Pablo Rodriguez, who replaced Stephen Gilbo as heritage minister. And so as heritage minister, Pablo is responsible for regulating media. And so Ezra is trying to create a narrative around him, similar to what he did with Stephen. So every time Ezra wanted to talk about Guy Beau, he always brought up that uh, Guy Beau was a criminal. <laughs> but he never mentioned how, like, he never mentioned what, like, Guy Beau did and how cool it was. <laughs> 
So, like, if you don't know, Erica, Stephen Gilbo climbed the CN Tower and released a banner saying uh, Bush in Canada are climate killers. And that's yeah. that's his criminal record. Yeah, because he was a part of Greenpeace, which, I mean, it would be cool to have uh, an environment minister who was part of Greenpeace if he wouldn't, you know, approve oil projects every three to four weeks. Um, yeah. <laughs> he grew up and became steadily less cool. That is that is very true. So much less cool. So, you know, Ezra doesn't have a narrative like that for Pablo. So, as you said, Gibo is now the environment minister. He's moved on. But that means uh, Pablo Rodriguez has taken his place as the uh, heritage minister. But, like, you know, it was cool when Ezra got to call Gibo a criminal all the time. So Ezra finds out, or so the claim is, that Pablo uh, had a DUI and that uh, because he was a liberal, he got let off the hook for it. And so for the rest of the episode, I mean, like the, the contents of the episode is just boring Pablo about censorship and the heritage minister, blah, blah, blah. Don't need to go over it. But he makes this claim about the DUI. And then for the rest of the episode, keeps calling Pablo a drunk driver to, to <laughs> refer to him. The drunk driver is doing this like like through the entire episode. And uh, the, it made me go, okay, I'm curious now. I'm go- <laughs> Is he a drunk driver? What's uh Because, like, I had never heard of this before. Uh, I mean, like, I barely know who Pablo Rodriguez is, let alone the things that he possibly could have done in his past, you know? I think we talked about him last week, just, like, in passing, or maybe the week before. I already had forgotten his name. Like, I was like, oh, right, there's a new cultural minister. <laughs> don't know who the guy is he he's been a member of parliament for years so like we're gonna go all the way back to 2010 when he was a member of parliament okay uh now there was a period of time where he lost one term to the ndp during the orange wave uh when uh ndp took a, a large chunk of quebec and became the official opposition but other than that term Rodriguez has held uh, his writing of Honoré, oh shit, what's the name of it? Honoré Mercier. Mercier? God damn it, French. <laughs> Apologies to all the French listeners. But yeah, so uh, Pablo Rodriguez represents that uh, writing in Quebec. And so this, the DUI case apparently comes all the way back to 2010. And remember, I think this is when Ignatieff was... Uh, the the uh, liberal leader at the time, so we're going we're going back, you know. But uh, so this this is what, how the story went back in 2010, from what articles I could pull up from it. One day, Pablo decided to announce to the press that the night before he had a minor accident after his BMW hit a parked car. He says he called the police and waited for them to show up. He then claims he told them he was at a party where he had two glasses of wine which prompted the police to provide a breathalyzer test, which he said he complied with. Finally, he claimed that during the test, it was not working. The officer grew frustrated and then proceeded to charge him with disobeying a police officer. Okay? (laughs) According to the police, Pablo immediately denied he was drinking that night, accused the police of trying to ruin his career. Then after finally admitting to having a few glasses of wine, he was purposefully stopping his breath before breathing into the breathalyzer. (laughs) After a few attempts, (laughs) 
and Pablo continuing to purposely breathe funny, the police charged him with disobeying police orders. <laughs> we charge you with holding your breath. <laughs> like he, he thinks he's gonna like just like trick the breathalyzer by not breathing into it. Like who are these people we elect? The, the way the like the police described it, it's almost like he was like you know he was sucking the air into his cheeks, you know, like making it look like he was going to breathe, like, and then like going and like not blowing. He's like, I don't know, I'm trying. Like, yeah, he's like, there must be something wrong with your machine. And they're like, no, idiot, you're breathing wrong. Breathe normally. Sorry, I'm still confused. Which account is correct? So, well, so here's the thing. He came out saying that he was going to fight the charges. And that is like the last I could find any information on this. Uh, I guess like, you know, nobody was covering it. Uh, at Like, I guess like if there was a court case, uh, I couldn't find it. I couldn't like it could have been that he settled it. Like, like, pled guilty and just paid the thing, and it's like, there's no, like, record, it didn't come up or something. Or, like, it could have been, like, a number of things, but I have no clue what was the conclusion of this thing. And he was a member of parliament. You would think, like, some news of that would exist, but I couldn't find a single shred of it anywhere, even in, like, legal documents. So I have, like, no clue. <laughs> what, Jody, you what think media transparency and parliament are things that, like, interact at all? Well, I mean, the flip side of this is Ezra's narrative is that, the, like, the liberals, like, purposefully, like, bought off the judge or something and let him go because he's a liberal or something. But, like, I, I have to imagine Ezra has no more insight into this than I do. Because, <laughs> like, I can't find anything. Maybe it went into the Quebecois secret courts that have been <laughs> revealed to exist. The, well... That was the other difficulty I was thinking. It, it could be that I'm having trouble finding anything, especially in the legal documents, because if it was in a, a French court. Uh, but I, I mean, I couldn't find anything with his name on it. Because, like, if he pled guilty and, like, paid the fine, I don't think it would come up because he wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been a court appearance. You know what I mean? So it wouldn't be in that. Yeah, I don't know. But either way, I have, there's no conclusion to the story other than the fact that he did accidentally drive his BMW into a parked car uh, while having a couple glasses of wine, apparently. <laughs> and, <laughs> and for this, do. we're now going to get from Ezra constantly that he's a drunk driver. And granted, like, I, 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 you know what? I don't trust the police, but I have to say in this instance, they're a little bit more believable <laughs> than the MP is, to be honest. I, I get like, right. yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, if this ruins your your image, if you if you had a good image of Pablo going into this, <laughs> and now your your dreams have been crushed when you realize that uh, Pablo, uh, you know, disobeyed a police order and uh, drove his car into a parked car, then uh, you know that's on you. I don't Solidarity know. with Pablo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You just hate parked cars, Vienna. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and and fuck the cops. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like DUIs are shitty. I'm like, or like, you know, drive. Don't drive drunk is uh, the other end of it. So like, he is still shitty if he was driving drunk. So, uh, but yes, uh, fuck fuck everyone. 
Is that, is that a better? <laughs> Fuck both. Yeah, I mean, also, yeah. <laughs> yeah everyone in the story. Every is bad. parliamentarian sucks, uh, <laughs> except what for is... the parts car. The parts car is great as the victim in the situation. Actually, someone was just parked. Nope. And doing something else, not drunk driving. Actually. <laughs> not oh, baking car driver contributor con- to uh, climate change. Um, <laughs> no, it's not even on. It's, it's, but it exists. <laughs> You're right. You're right. So remember the, the whole it had gasoline in it. <laughs> the whole reason we went on this uh, tangent about Pablo is because we're talking about media censorship, and so Ezra ends the episode by bringing uh, up the Milgram experiment, which we've already talked about. But then also he he spends a lot of time on this thing called the Ash Conformity Test. Have either of you heard of the Ash Conformity Test? Getting a, a lot of confused looks. So the, the idea of the Ash Conformity Test, this was a, a psychological, social psychology experiment that took place in the 1950s. And what they did was they had like five people sitting at a table and they would have lines of differing length. And you had, and they were like labeled like uh, one, two, three, four, or whatever, right? And they had to say like, what is the longest line on the piece of paper? And then one person would start and it would go around the circle and everyone had to say the number for what corresponds is the longest line. And so what like the uh, the thing that they the variable that they changed uh, in the experiment was that the people at the table, except for one of them, were all in on the experiment. Okay, (laughs) so what they would do is they would they would start with like a few of them that were like just normal. They would guess the the right line length. But then on one of them, even though it's very obvious that one line is longer than the other, the person would purposely say uh, that a different line was longer, like a shorter line, an obviously shorter line. And then the next person would copy them. And then the next person would copy them. And then it would get to the person sitting in the experiment. And then the question is, would they go along with the others, even though their eyes are clearly seeing that the others were wrong, right? Would they conform to the group or would they uh, do go out on their own and say what the right answer is, right? So the question is, are they funny and want to fuck with the researchers, <laughs> or are they not? Like, so so I've, part of it is that like a a number of people would go along with the rest of the group, okay? Like that, <laughs> not everyone, obviously, and like as years have gone by, like you can manipulate this study in various ways and get different results. Like you know how how far are like how obvious or non obvious matters, uh, like how obvious the the line lengths are and stuff like this. Like there's various ways of like getting different results by like tweaking the the variables in various ways. Uh, however. Ezra brings this up to try to argue that Rebel News is like one of the Confederates at the table, except they're one of the ones who tells the truth rather than the falsehood. And so the idea is like, I guess in one of the variations of the Ash Conformity Test is you had one person differ from the people who are like doing the wrong thing purposefully to trick you up. One would go against the grain. And having that one person going against the grain made it more likely that you would not conform with the group and say what the rest, like the real answer is, right? And so he's like, Rebel News is like that, that person. <laughs> the sheer audacity yeah. of 
Ezra Levad to say that when he knows how bad the content he puts out is. It's like just David Menzies like screaming at an LCBO manager. It's like, yeah. who is that for? <laughs> how does that help? What kind of service journalism is this? Sorry. Well, I, I mean, you say audacity. Let's, <laughs> here it is. It is, is uh, his own words. 37% of people uh, say a lie that they know to be a lie just to go along if everyone else is going along with it. But if you have one other person in the room who says, no, 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 that's a lie, the conformity falls to 5%. Nothing is more powerful to pushing back against a dominant narrative that's a lie other than a, even just a single other person. And that's my theory about why Justin Trudeau and Pablo Rodriguez and Stephen Gilbo and frankly, the rest of the media party hate Rebel News so much. That's that's why. <laughs> because of the Ash Conformity test. That's <laughs> I love I love his uh explanation of a scientific study. He's like, you know, 37% of people. <laughs> yeah. People, you know. No, I mean it's very hard to generalize something like from because you gotta understand, like information that you might find through like complex worldly information is what i'm trying to get at is different than lines on a page in a social experiment a social psychology experiment okay like there's layers of complexities things like so no no social psychologist worth their muster is going to generalize from this ash conformity experiment from the 1950s <laughs> to, to people generally like that that's that's never gonna happen okay uh, <laughs> and you know what on this field i am slightly more qualified than ezra with a bachelor's <laughs> in psychology so we're <laughs> and i had to learn about the ash conformity test in uh, my my studies but uh but yes no one worth their, with their salt is going to make those kind of generalizations that's just simply ridiculous uh but on top of that, it's like the one, and you you sort of like hinted to this earlier, Eric, which is that the one thing that Ezra is leaving off here is that he he could be the one lying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he could be that one. You know. But Jody, he's a rebel. Yeah, well, they don't lie, or they do because that would be going against the grain. You know, everyone's True. out there telling the truth, but we're the. We're the rebels. We're going to tell a few lies. Mix we're, it up a little bit. We're going to lie to your face and you're going to love it. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, it, he then ends ends this segment anyways on talking about the QCJO thing briefly. But again, we'll, we'll push that on to the next day because that's uh, when we'll really get into it. And I will explain what that acronym means. But the interview segment, before we move off of the Wednesday, is with someone named uh, Mark Morano. And he is a frequent guest to Rebel News, also a frequent guest to InfoWars uh, Home. I think Climate Depot is his website. He's a, a climate change denialist, but he's, he's out there. I think every time he's on uh, Rebel News, he's talking about eating bugs and the, the left wants you to engage in cannibalism and just various wacky things. So... He's on today, though. I mean, again, it's climate related, but it's the weirdest, like, connection to climate 
ever. And I think the only reason they're talking about it is because it was trending on Twitter for like one day. But apparently they're on to talk about Noam Chomsky. Uh, <laughs> uh, apparently the 90 year old anarchist was trending on Twitter for an interview where he claimed that things are much worse today than when he was younger and suggesting that the biggest threat to the world right now is climate change. Now, I feel like to most of us here, we're probably in agreement with the 90-year-old Chomsky, but of course, to Ezra and Moreno, this is just, this is just knee-slapping silly. What a... <laughs> what does this old anarchist think he's doing over here? <laughs> and so, so, just... Just to, I mean, be a cynical content person again, uh, because that interview was trending on Twitter, I think it might have encouraged um, Ezra and the the powerful minds at the Rebel to then do a segment on it. Because I don't know how familiar Ezra Levant would be with Noam Chomsky's work, other than the fact that he knows that Noam Chomsky exists. You know, like I I don't see. Ezra is like a big manufacturing consent guy. You know what's actually quite fascinating? He apparently, he admits he has read manufacturing consent. And also, I learned that in the early days of Rebel News, apparently they interviewed Noam Chomsky for the Rebel News. They had a debate, if you will, where Noam Chomsky came on. Now, I have not watched this, and I didn't know that it existed till uh, this episode. But apparently, Ezra and Noam have had some interactions in the past. So. All right. Well, I was wrong, and I'll stop talking for the rest of the episode. Then. No, but I do think that you are partially <laughs> right in that I think the only reason that they're talking about this is because it was trending on Twitter. I really <laughs> I do think you nailed that one completely. Uh, it is fair, though. I, I do think Ezra says that, like, he hasn't kept up with Gnome, so he doesn't really know what the hell Gnome thinks today or something like this. So he does say that. But <laughs> and at least he's, I mean, like, I mean, I, I believe that part of it. So at least he's honest about that, you know. But, uh, yeah, so Ezra and Mark then spend the entire interview uh, laughing about this. And the thing that they most uh, seem to be focused on is how an anarchist could support global regulations, uh, both in terms of climate, but also in terms of the pandemic. And Mark claims that Chomsky no longer criticizes corporations because they are all left wing now. Uh, <laughs> he's like, he has, there's no reason to criticize the, the corporations because they all believe that climate change is real. So. That because Mark Morano and Ezra are the real rebels who are anti-believing in science and health measures. You know. Yeah, totally, totally normal. <laughs> no. <laughs> normal They're, ideas, yeah. It's good. You know, all of the all of the you know, leftist communist oil companies that believe in climate change. <laughs> yeah. You know, Coca-Cola's really, really taken a swing to the left. Really. <laughs> <laughs> That's they why we drink Pepsi. Barely, they barely even bother funding like paramilitary death squads to kill un union leaders anymore. Yeah. Like, it's only like, you know, once a year instead of like once every couple weeks. That's why Pepsi is the official drink of the Imperial News Podcast. <laughs> Because <laughs> their heart's still in it. 
They're, yeah, because they're the taste of the next generation, don't you? <laughs> uh, but they want it, so they want to compare Chomsky to the other leftists that they know. And their list of other leftists that they know is RFK Jr., Jimmy Dore, <laughs> and Max Blumenthal. All lefties that they agree that they like because they're good on the pandemic, but they don't like them when it comes to the climate. Uh, but... <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I don't even know what to add to that other than like it doesn't surprise me but there you go you know it, and the, I don't know why it wouldn't or I don't know why <laughs> why it wouldn't surprise anyone to see members of the the dumb dumb left uh getting along famously with uh guys like uh guys like Ezra like they they seem uh I mean I don't know like Jimmy Dore is just the worst about everything like he's awful and i don't know i don't want to derail this thing but like blumenthal though like <laughs> well blumenthal's a frequent I, guest on jimmy Dore, so they probably only know about him through him okay i i can't wait for max blumenthal to be on rebel that's gonna be a nightmare it will happen i don't know if it'll happen but it i could see it happening um he's gotten progressively stranger i don't know that's a personal take <laughs> yeah did you know that his dad was like sydney blumenthal a major clinton freak yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he was like a, a big politico and a, i believe a writer as well yeah no and like that's the dude who funded like the startup for all of max blumenthal's everything Fucking fail sons they're everywhere yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's very depressing. But I like, but I do feel like the connection here is very tenuous. Like it seems like even in this uh, rant with Morano and Ezra, it seems like they only like these people because of their anti-vaccine, anti-COVID stance, and like are aware that they disagree on other issues. I mean, even I don't even think Ezra would agree with Max when it comes to like. Uh, what's happening in the Ukraine right now because like oddly enough like in surprise to us Ezra has been pretty like not supportive of Russia even though he he walks it back slightly every once in a while <laughs> when he gets pushed back from his audience but uh, but yeah so like I, I don't know that they would see eye to eye on everything but like I don't know it's just interesting so they end up they want to compare uh Chomsky to one of them. So they compare them, uh, Chomsky to RFK Jr. And again, I have to say, uh, RFK Jr., for those who don't know, like, again, part of the Kennedy family, that's going to get brought up here. But also, like, he's been anti-vaccine for years. Like, he was anti-vaccine before this pandemic even occurred. In fact, back when Trump was first elected president, he had met with Donald Trump early on to try to establish Donald Trump as, like, an anti-vaccine president. So, uh, yeah, like this this goes way back and uh RFK Jr sucks. Is <laughs> but they're still disappointed in him because he doesn't go all the way, right? He doesn't go full <laughs> climate denial. Uh because RFK Jr again, his his start into like anti-vaccine stuff had to do with the mercury in the vaccine and like had to do with like these environmental reasons or poisons and stuff like this. 
even though he he doesn't understand that the mercury in vaccine is not the same as the mercury in say a thermometer or whatever you know uh, <laughs> he's Probably wrong the about same. the science still yeah uh, <laughs> I mean, the difference, uh, for those who don't know, the difference, I mean, there's no more mercury in the vaccines because these people, like, you know, uh, caused enough uh, hysteria that, like, d the medical community was like, we need to get this mercury out of the vaccines, even though it's safe and effective. Uh, but, like, the difference is, like, the same difference between, so it was ethyl versus uh, methyl mercury. And it's the same thing with like methyl versus ethyl alcohol. Like one is cool to drink and you have a fun buzz off of it and the other can leave you blind, you know? So it's <laughs> two separate, separate things. But anyways, this is how they compare uh, Noam Chomsky to RFK Jr. As For, and, and again, I know I sound like I'm defending the guy. It's just that I, I went to this event and I thought I'm, I'm ready to disagree. And I found myself agreeing much more than I thought. I think, you know, it's funny. I said, I, I spoke briefly at the RFK event and I said, um, there's a saying when you've got nothing left to lose, you're free and you're powerful. Um, and that's true. And, and people who have been fired because they didn't take the vaccine, for example, they're, uh, you know, terrible things have happened to them, but they're, they're liberated and they can speak truthfully. But in a way, RFK Jr., he, he has a lot to lose, his position on the constellation of, of the left, and yet he has dissented. Like, I think Noam Chomsky, it's the, the crazy thing about Noam Chomsky, and I'll end on this note, is that he is supposed to be the ultimate dissenter, the ultimate contrarian, the ultimate objector, um, the refusenik. And yet he's in league with the big tech, the big government, the big media, the United yeah. Nations, the global government, the Bill Gates of the world. RFK Jr., who comes from American royalty, you know, the Kennedy family, who's part of the establishment, even if he's on the left wing of it. He's the one who's acting as the dissenter at great personal cost, I might add. It, really we've is. we've certainly is. seen a lot of character of people revealed. <laughs> it makes me very, very annoyed that he can recognize the fact that uh, Kennedy comes from a very established place and, and is incredibly wealthy. But he's like, but he's telling, he's, he's saying the thing that we should believe, guys. He's looking out yeah. for us. <laughs> it's not like Noam Chomsky. It's bought and paid for. We like he's supposed to be an anarchist. He's supposed. I mean, it's they're the confusing ultimate anarchy. contrarian. Yeah, they're confusing anarchy with like contrarianism. But then it's also, you know what? I also agree with Bill Gates that water is necessary for life. It doesn't mean that I. <laughs> It doesn't mean I agree with Bill Gates on anything else, right? So it's like Noam Chomsky might agree that these vaccines are safe and effective, but that doesn't mean that he thinks that corporations are cool, you know? Like, <laughs> it's not how this works, you know? <laughs> no, but like you need to be, if you're an anarchist, you got to be contrarian, yo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to be a refusal. That's why Chomsky's a liberal. My, uh... <laughs> My opinion of Noam Chomsky really dropped after that uh, Super Bowl commercial for Chevrolet, to be honest. But that was just me. He was in a Super Bowl commercial? No, I'm lying. I'm lying. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost believed it. I was I'm like, sorry. no way. I'm bombing all over the place on this podcast. <laughs> oh, that, that's not a bomb. That's solid gold. You just said it with such a straight face and like... 
It made me like I was like, oh my god, no! What have you done with your career? You have listen. He endorsed Biden, so he could have done anything. He's driving <laughs> like, a Chevy ah. Volt. Oh, that'd be very very I funny. S- I mean, I still have a soft spot uh, for Chomsky. I'll, I'll say it. I've read a lot of his books. I, I like uh, a chunk of them. I know he's been wrong, uh, really wrong in some cases. So, but about the Bosnian genocide, for yeah. example. <laughs> well, but he, you know, he gets some things right sometimes, and uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, worth remembering. I mean, he's like God. The guy's like. Guy's like a brittle bag of bones right now. Every time I see him in an interview, of like a strong wind is just gonna blow away. <laughs> I like, yeah, like I don't think I've read any of his books, but also like I very much understand that he is like the kind of like grandfather or like old uncle of everybody on the left, who is kind of a like okay, yeah, but you're a little bit like out of it at this point, but like <laughs> sure. <laughs> And, like, I don't know, just the fact that he still responds to pretty much everybody who emails him on his academic email is hilarious to me. Like, Chomsky's on that hustle grind set, you know? <laughs> not even. Like, people will just email him questions and he'll, like, respond back to them. And it's like, my guy, like, <laughs> you're old. Do better things. Take a break. Well, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. That's. I mean, he's always done that. So, I mean, I guess uh, uh, old habits die hard, you know. <laughs> but anyways, that that's all we could take away from that. Uh, a really silly side thing. I think even Ezra jokes at the end, like speaking of Chomsky going on everything, I think Ezra's like, we should maybe like uh, ask him if he wants to come back on or something. So, we might... <laughs> I don't know that he would, but maybe we'll get a, another Chomsky on the Rebel at some point. I want I want the new American correspondent Siobhan to interview Chomsky. Oh my god! I feel like that would be like ultimate nightmare. So for people who don't watch the live streams, they have a a, a new American correspondent named Siobhan, who is a self-identified lefty but just believes the most wildest conspiracy theories, like even wilder yeah. than uh, than Ezra. <laughs> um, the big one. And I think maybe we should, like, link this video in the description or something. Or if we have, like, a video of us covering it. (laughs) So as not to give Rebel more views. Um, She has the video of after the Will Smith slap. Where she blames... (laughs) She blames Pfizer. (laughs) Because it has a new alopecia drug coming out. (laughs) And it was a sponsor for the Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) like it is the most galaxy brain thing right so they caused the slap in order to increase sales of the alopecia drug since the yeah like oh my god but it uh, amazing just simply simply amazing but she's apparently the left-wing uh rebel news host so (laughs) yes we move on to thursday and thursday is where we get the lawsuit which i mean we did we did a deeper dive in the live stream there's not going to be much to go over with i had a tweet that blew up uh talking about this stupid lawsuit so uh if you've joined us from from uh seeing that tweet hello welcome welcome to the show but i i'm gonna play uh, at least ezra's explanation of what this lawsuit is uh 
that has to do with... Uh, well, we'll get into it once we play it. So this is Ezra describing... He's, he's suing the government again, and he's going to explain to us why he's suing the government. Justin Trudeau's hand-picked government censorship panel has just declared that Rebel News journalists are not qualified to be news media. We just learned that over the past year, Trudeau has spent countless tax dollars on a hand-picked team of government censors who were studying Rebel News in secret. They never reached out to us or spoke with us or interviewed us. And that secretive government censorship panel went through 276 of our news stories it took nearly a year to do it. Imagine government censors looking through 276 rebel news stories, many of which criticized government censorship. Now, you can like rebel news or not. That's your choice. If you don't like rebel news, unlike the CBC, you don't still have to pay for us. But Trudeau's government censorship panel made a ruling about us. They declared, get this, that, quote, Less than 1% of the content meets the criteria for original news content. <laughs> what? That's almost all we do. We're rebel news, not rebel sports or rebel weather. <laughs> I, want, I want rebel weather so bad. They would just get the weather wrong all the time. It would rule. Uh <laughs> what's, what, what's a tornado anyways? I mean, a little bit of rain is just a partial tornado. So, like, why don't we just call a minor rain event a tornado? David Menzies uh, getting hit just by like, lightning, <laughs> saying partly cloudy. <laughs> it's high of twenty three. Um, yeah, like hearing Ezra say that is very interesting because I I saw the misinterpretation of of what the the ruling from the federal government is on Twitter. Right, I saw a lot of people going, "Yeah, the federal government said that uh, Rebel News." isn't news that they can't be journalists and i feel like some of those people may have gotten that from ezra himself in the segment yeah right like and it's or like, even not this segment but his like social media tweeting about it yeah yeah well it's just i think i think it really goes to show that like if you're going to um be covering the rebel it's very important to not listen to what the rebel is saying about itself which is why i like uh, you two so much because you know that, <laughs> and that's that's why that tweet went. Um, I, I can't say viral because I don't know what viral means anymore. But uh, like it, it just did incredibly well because you're like, hey, that's not what this means. And yeah, I mean, and like a part of it too is like, I know this is this is not the only lawsuit. This is not our first rodeo with Ezra. You know what I mean? So as soon as he's like, I'm suing the government. It's like. Got to read another fucking legal brief. <laughs> get to the bottom of whatever the fuck this is, you know. Uh, but it is amazing. Like, you're right about the framing of this because, like, his framing is just so off on what this is. Like, you heard it. Like, even in the clip that I played, some of you might be listening going, what the fuck? Is, like, what is he talking about? And he doesn't even mention, I think he mentions it shortly after where I ended the clip, but he briefly mentions taxation. But really, all this has to do with is taxes. <laughs> and it's, you know, and how did he frame it? There's a there's a secret, a secret cabal that's like met and they're like <laughs> deciding who is and who isn't a journalist. And like, it's a government censorship panel. And none of that is true. <laughs> 
So I am I am briefly going to like run through just like just super concisely sort of like sum this up. So here it goes. The federal government in 2019 crafted legislation to subsidize journalism by giving tax benefits to new employees and to those who subscribe to digital news creators. In order to be eligible for these benefits, the government created a designation that's called the QCJO, which is Qualified Canadian Journalism Organization. And they, they were leaving it up to news organizations to apply for this des designation. So a group within the CRA, which is the Canadian Revenue Agency, they then meet and assess based on a certain criteria that was legislated by the government, who gets to qualify as a QCJO. Rebel News applied to be designated, but were told by the CRA that they did not qualify since, as you heard Ezra just say, only 1% of their content is original news content. Now that is like, that sort of needs to be unpacked, but we, we almost don't even really need to unpack it. But like, original news content is just a bunch of like, specific things that they were looking for. So you can even when you read the sort of like CRA's list of what a uh, what counts as uh, original news content, it's almost like what they wanted to get was like your typical news website that would have like, you know, sports, weather, entertainment, news, and then like, and, and you would send reporters out to do just like beat stuff. So like, City Hall, blah, 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 like, you know, important information stuff. This is what the government was trying to capture with this specific tax benefit. So if you go to, say, Rebels News website, <laughs> you don't get that, right? Most of the articles are all about things internal, like, here's another lawsuit we're fighting. Here's how the media is censoring us. Here's, right? And so, like, that does not count based on this list of criteria, what is original news content. So, like... Yes, Ezra does not meet the threshold, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the war on Christmas segment doesn't really count yeah. <laughs> as any any kind of service journalism, right? The uh Pfizer orchestrated the Oscars slap. That's not that's not journalism. <laughs> I don't no. know what that is to be honest. <laughs> well, it's just about print journalism, isn't it? It's, so it's not clear. It's it's uh, for digital news specifically. So like, okay. But I don't know because like it lists out that uh, again Ezra mentions that they looked at two hundred and seventy six pieces of stuff from their website. But it's not clear to me whether they like watched the videos or just read the sort of like writings on the Rebel News website. But if you read the writings on the Rebel News website, it's all like oriented towards getting people to donate to their website like it's it if you wanted to like you don't necessarily need to boost their algorithm but if you show up at their web page you know some things are really hyper bold and be like they're trying to attack us in bold and like you know support us while we defend ourselves and like send you over to uh, a donation link right which is not something that you would say find on your like local news feed or like, you know, the London Free Press, or even like your bigger uh, news outlets, right? Which is why it's like they're not, they weren't trying to capture uh, whatever the hell Rebel News is doing. <laughs> I mean, but it, I guess so to start, the first thing to clear up is that this panel is not secret. Uh, I, I guess that is, should be the first thing uh, that Ezra was completely wrong about. And not only are they not secret, but he also claimed that they're handpicked by Trudeau. They're not, in fact, handpicked by Trudeau. They're determined from within the like revenue agency uh, who gets to sit on this panel. So, uh, you know, not not the same. 
<laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and so then the other thing is, like, he said it was done in secret, and then somehow it was a secret process. But it wasn't, because in the end, after they did the review, they then gave to Rebel all the information that they, like, did to conclude that they weren't, uh, <laughs> weren't a QC... J.O. So it's like they showed Ezra their work. <laughs> I mean, it's private in that they didn't blast that publicly. I mean, but Ezra did because Ezra posted the letter they sent him <laughs> on his website. So it's like you made it public. That's fine. Like uh, none of the <laughs> the CRA should just publicly tweet every single decision that they make regarding somebody's taxes. That would rule. <laughs> that would... Or, or be, be like Globe cool. and Mail news. <laughs> this <laughs> this other website not news. You know, I just meant like Dave Johnson. Yeah, yeah, Dave Johnson. <laughs> your receipt for a skidoo as a business expense <laughs> doesn't count. <laughs> oh dear lord. Secondly, uh, this has nothing to do with censorship. Uh, being a QCJO is for tax purposes. Uh, not for censor purposes. I, I do, like... I guess the only, like, possible thing that this could end up being used for, like, quote-unquote censorship purposes in the eyes of Rebel News is, like, if the next election, the debate commission is going to say you need to be a QCJO to be able to ask questions at the debate or something, and they're going to pull another one of these moves like the, the liberal government has done the last two elections, okay? That is is possible in my mind, but I also don't think that that would actually succeed. Uh, although, uh, Ezra keeps like talking about how they won the last lawsuit to get let into the the last debates that were in two thousand and twenty one. But what the judge said there was that they it was unfair how they set up the debate thing because they had this like two tier model where they let some journalist outlets just automatically count and didn't have to submit anything so that was like cbc ctv like globe and mail like these bigger names just automatically got sh funneled in and then everyone else had to apply in this like weird procedure way and that's what the judge ruled was like not fair and allowed rebel to go in so i imagine there could be some other like sorting system that maybe if they used a qcjo signifier that maybe that would uh count but I, I don't know like we'll have to wait but till... then cbc wouldn't be able to go that's where it gets complicated right because uh, like <laughs> the other thing is right like i guess the the way that a lot of people were talking about this is that if you do not qualify for a qcjo then that doesn't that means that you're not a journalist and that's not what it means because uh, as you just pointed out fiano the cbc does not qualify for a qcjo <laughs> Because one of the things that's stipulated in the thing is that uh, uh, it can't be a, a crown corporation or related to the government. And since CBC directly gets their funding from the government, that and like, there's no portal to get a paid subscription to the CBC, which is another reason where like, there's no need to do it because you you as a purchaser of the product, no one's purchasing it. So no one needs to get a tax rebate for it, you know? <laughs> That's wrong. I pay my taxes to the CBC, Jody. So you wait, you want a tax rebate on your taxes to the CPC? Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh 
So yeah, the government is not deciding who is or who is not a journalist uh, by this designation. They are just simply creating a tax category. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know that that's <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty much it. Uh, and so he makes this whole big deal out of this fucking thing just over the fact that they uh, they did not get selected for this tax benefit. <laughs> Apparently, there's uh, censorship panels now. And, and like the confusion, like, I guess like so many, like, uh, a lot of people sort of like, as you were talking about the misconceptions, were like buying this angle that somehow the government was choosing what, what does or does not count as journalism. And ha ha ha, the government didn't choose Rebel News as journalists, right? But of, of course, that leaves out CBC. There's tons of like, you know, one of the other things that could get you excluded off of this is if... Uh, you're, say, a show called Imperial News that solely focuses on one subject matter. Uh, that also <laughs> would not allow us, even though, you know, we're not Imperial Sports, we're not Imperial Weather, <laughs> we're Imperial News, okay? But even that, we will not qualify for this tax benefit. I'd watch Imperial Weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think we should start doing Imperial Weather. <laughs> How's the weather in the Empire? <laughs> Sunday. Oh my god. Um I used to have to do marine weather when I was a radio guy. It's the worst. Absolute worst part of the job. Um so I guess I guess to Ezra, just be grateful that you're not rebel weather. It wasn't fun to do. <laughs> There's probably some meteorologists out there who are hyped to do the weather. Show up every day just like super pumped. <laughs> let's see what let's see what the data shows. It's psycho. See if that lake effect is coming in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want nothing to do with those people. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, I guess so. Uh, I, since you are someone who's been uh, vaguely in the sphere of doing something that someone would call news i mean we we have talked today that journalism is this wishy-washy concept that like mm -hmm. you know and you know anyone can be a journalist but like do you have any thoughts of what the government is doing here with the the qualified canadian journalist organization or like do you does it matter i mean because <laughs> what's your thoughts on that i mean it, it's like it's another kind of stopgap solution is it not like I don't know if the government should be like, I think the real issue with the media is not whether or not they're going to get, you know, the QCJO designation. When I was reporting for a small town radio station, I'm sure plenty of the stories that I, I ran were absolute dog shit and didn't really meet the <laughs> standards for journalism. Like if, yeah, but wouldn't you like your dog shit journalism to get uh, you would get uh, a rebate for your income tax? <laughs> I think I think that would be awesome. But like beyond that, like I would like to see some of these legacy organizations that are chewing up um, a whole bunch of bailout media bailout money from the government, um, as well as all the local papers they can get their hands on. Um, and then liquidating them one by one as, like, the money dries up. Like, I think that's a bigger issue. And so, like, this QCJO stuff is, is like, it's an issue to the rebel because they didn't get it. And it's, like, they get to do, <laughs> like, more manufactured grievance fundraising 
stuff like they're just like yep. look at this document where we don't get the special name now um everyone give us money please uh like i i mean it was it was a total like uh gift to them to a certain extent because by them applying they either get it and then get to advertise to their subscribers that you can get a tax benefit and also their staff will get an income tax benefit or they know that they're likely going to get declined and then they can use it for marketing purposes. So it's like, no matter what the response was, they were going to benefit it, <laughs> yeah. benefit from it in some way, you know? And they probably had like a game plan on how they were going to react to the rejection long before the rejection came through because like they got it and they're like, okay, let's just sue them. Um, they were, they were ready to go. Right. Like it's <laughs> so so follow up, what do you think they're arguing in court? Like, what do you, what do you think they want as a remedy? <sighs> Is attention an okay answer? <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Like, that's, that's what they want. They want people looking at them because, like, I don't know. Like, they don't, they don't make content that really makes people want to stick around. And I say people, I mean myself, because their content is bad. Um, <laughs> but, like, this kind of stuff, this conflict, the controversy is good for getting new eyeballs on their content. And then, and then because they are um, like shameless self-promoters, those people the that thing? landed on their website will end up hitting a fundraising link. Even, even by mistake, there's a lot of them. Yeah. my Like I had like several thoughts going into it thinking like, especially the way he talks about it. I assumed that them suing the government would be to disband the, the designation, to get rid of it. So there is no QCJO de designation. Because what is a journalist, man? You know? Yeah. And plus, they, they hate the government. So it's like... Uh, but then I was like... That, that's the other part that was confusing to me. Because I was like, yeah, but if they hate the government, uh, they don't want anyone paying taxes at all, right? So a tax rebate would kind of be, like, good to them or something. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it could go either way. But, like... Reading the brief, the one thing that surprised me is like they're arguing in court that they should be allowed in, that they want the QCJO distinction to be able to like grip their audience. But like nowhere in any of like his coverage of this does he stipulate that that's what they're doing. He makes it sound like this is a censorship panel. Now it's like, why would you want to be led into the censorship panel? <laughs> It's so because that's what they're arguing in court, you know. It is so unlike conservatives to talk about how bad some sort of bailout program or some rebate program is, and then turn around and apply for it. Like, how many National Post columns were there about how Serb was a scam? Like, meanwhile, <laughs> like. Post Media was on CEWS and they also got massive amounts of bailout money throughout the pandemic. Like it just the the blatant hypocrisy of that is just yep. like it, it should surprise me. It doesn't, but it still makes yeah. me very mad. <laughs> the rhetoric the rhetoric around like the lawsuit too and like cuz they were trending on Twitter when it was announced and blah 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 and like my mom sent me a tweet basically being like whoa the canadian government has said that rebel news is no longer like considered a media organization or whatever else and i had to respond being like no they didn't 
they didn't qualify for a tax rebate. That's it. <laughs> and then like, yeah, you know, Jody had to make the tweet because it's like all of these people were because they are liberals were responding being like, oh, wow, the government, you know, totally buying into the the rhetoric that the rebel was selling and therefore giving it more air to like breathe mm-hmm. and like to continue spreading that misinformation that like they were being censored somehow when again, like they're just not getting a tax credit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, with people on Twitter, you can't control people just misreading things. Uh, but I honestly, like I, I expect better out of, uh, you know, specific content creators to, you know, at least spend some time, looking into it like i don't know just because i mean this this job is responsible communication um i don't like the idea that that you know there are people out there that are just like jumping on it the same way that people posting on twitter and facebook are yeah, there was a few because uh, it wasn't. I mean, the liberals were the the largest offenders, but there was a few bigger lefty accounts that uh, shot out a quick tweet about it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to name names. I'm not here yeah. to name. Names. No, I'm gonna. I'm not. We're we're here for solidarity. Yeah. It's more just a call to just like be be cautious. You know, we all make mistakes though. I don't. I don't want to be too too harsh. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I do agree with you. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice like before you tweet something out to like your thousands of subscribers. <laughs> Maybe like just just take a cursory because like all the I literally just did a cursory like I obviously went more in depth but like just immediate you're like oh this is a tax designation <laughs> like it's almost like right away you know yeah I guess it's kind of just say like don't take rebel news <laughs> at like face value like don't take anything that they say as accurate even if you like are fine with it if it were true yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to end this segment oh sorry uh, finish your thought and they will end the segment yeah, i was just gonna say like and like i i shouldn't be like you know going after people for accuracy i've been wrong several times in this episode <laughs> but who hasn't <laughs> exactly <laughs> we're all big idiots well not you two yeah. but like me yeah um <laughs> um it just i mean if you have an audience please make sure what you're saying is accurate to the best of your ability is all I would say. Um, but yes, we all, we all still love you. Even if you make mistakes. So just the final thing before we move on to the the rest of the show and, uh, the rest of the show should go by hopefully pretty quickly, but <laughs> Eric rebel news journalism or no, <laughs> no, not even close. All right. <laughs> I've watched your show for much too long to even entertain the idea. And, like, I'll say it. Like, it's not, like, the best piece of content they ever had. This is a very long, definitive answer, by the way. The best piece of content they ever had was not Bad Guy. And that was because it was yeah. <laughs> um, abstract and surreal and a guy from Etobicoke yelling about... Uh, <laughs> I'm just assuming it's from Etobicoke. Um, about, you know the color of his t-shirt and that it was yeah. his birthday and stuff. Uh, it's a hundred percent cotton. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> There's no news value to the rebel. Um, I feel safe saying that it's an opinion, but I, I do think it's backed up by their gigabytes of awful content. 
Yeah, I think I've always summed it up as uh, it's it's uh, harassment in the form of pretend journalism. <laughs> is <laughs> it's kind of how I've uh, phrased it. <laughs> Otherwise, I, I try to like at the end of the day, the distinction, especially like in the philosophical way that Ezra always talks about it, I don't really care. Like, sure, everything's journalism, but like, <laughs> like I, I don't really care too much about the distinction at the end of the day. But it's like you're just harassing people and calling it journalism is what, is what you're doing, you know? TikToks are also journalism. Yeah. <laughs> Sandwiches, journalism. Let's go. Everything's Again, journalism. Again, we are, we are Imperial News. It's. <laughs> It's not imperial weather. It's not imperial sports. <laughs> so <laughs> we get to the interview segment. <laughs> we get to the interview segment, and it's with uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed, who, again, is a Rebel employee. So you know, they're interviewing in-house. And it's it's about Alberta's chief medical doctor, Dina Hinshaw. And most of the interview is typical COVID denial nonsense. And so, you know, we don't have to go over it. But at one point during this interview, things get really dark. And it reminded me of another time where things have gotten dark like this, which is that during uh, at one point during the pandemic, Ezra went off on the BC health, health officer, Bonnie Henry, right around the time when she was receiving death threats and tried to blame her for the death of a child in New Brunswick, even though she's the health officer in BC, suggesting that this child's suicide in New Brunswick was the result of the lockdown policies in BC. I Like, it was fucked up right around the time where, again, she was getting death threats. So it's like, you can have criticisms of Bonnie Henry, but like trying to accuse her of murder and then like right around the time where she's already getting death threats is kind of fucked up. And then like, like basically mocking her when she was crying about like the pressure, like in an interview clip uh that's what he did to bonnie, bonnie henry and now they're going to do something uh, similar to dina henshaw so i will play that clip now you know i remember when dina henshaw got up there at a press conference and claimed that a, a teenager a child of young years had died from COVID, and that was a very important argument for her because it, it was an attempt to say no 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 this disease is of great risk to everyone not just old people fat people sick people no 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 we must keep schools closed we must put masks on kids and it turned out to be a damnable lie and the only reason we learned it was a lie is because the family said do not step on our child's dead body for your politics uh, our child died of cancer you political profiteer that is a satanic thing to do to use the death of a child for your own political career i'll never forget or forgive dr dina hinshaw for using a dead child to promote her political career she's a disgrace and will take that to her death take that to her death <laughs> i think it was I... interesting that he described it as satanic I think it was interesting that Sheila tried to jump in and he's like, shut up, I'm not finished yet. He just kind of powered yeah. right through. Shut up, Sheila. <laughs> I'm talking. No, he had to he had to finish the thought. Like he he was like, No, I'm not done like fucking like going going in on Dina here. But like also it's like it, it's there's a sad irony to what he's doing here, which is like accusing her of using the child's death. That's exactly what he's doing right here. Exactly. <laughs> exactly and like i don't I, I didn't look into this because like at the end of the day i'm like even if it is true like i don't i don't know if like what dina did is bad or not like it seems kind of like innocuous to me to say that like oh yeah there has been some kids affected by this disease does not seem like 
that like it doesn't sound satanic i guess to me <laughs> kids you have know? died of covid it's yeah it's actually like <laughs> i don't know why it's news to people two years into this fucking thing but like tens of thousands of people have died of covid in this country and it's like i i just feel like the way that ezra talks about it it's not real to him in any way and then he's just like you know uh hinshaw is trying to convince us that it can happen to us even if we're not old or fat like the way he said that was like very weird like he just kind of like threw a bunch of things like trying to hint at comorbidities um yeah no his thing is it's only fat people dying from this that's his uh that's his thing (laughs) what a piece of shit honestly like fuck him I'm allowed to say that because, right? like, fuck it's fat me. people. I mean, like, that's like the thing. It's like it, at first it was old people, right? It's like ah, it's just old people, and now it's like ah, it's just fat people. It's like, well, maybe like I love both fat and old people. Like, why? Like, why are we killing them? Like, maybe we should care about everyone, regardless of their size or age. You know? It's like, why are you okay with an increasing sphere of people dying <laughs> needlessly? Yet yeah, if you dare, if you dare even say one child died from this fucking disease, you're satanic. <laughs> I will send my because you're using it for political purposes. I will send my which Ezra would never do. No, but so I mean that was pretty bad, right? Yeah. Do you believe that it gets worse? Yeah, always. Tina <laughs> yeah, sure. Hinshaw is guilty of Jeffrey Epstein levels of evil. I mean, imagine <laughs> taking dead children and turning them into press releases to sell pharma. That is so satanically gross. She's Jeffrey Epstein. What the fuck? <laughs> what the I, fuck? I love that it really sounds like he like was oh, eating yeah. the mic there. No, he went like, down to a serious voice. This is, I'm, I'm Batman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He went to the Batman register. That's, what are you doing anytime that he goes to that like yeah that like tone and register is like it's my favorite ezra moments <laughs> like it's always just like the but most wild stuff <laughs> like i'm not in alberta uh, like i haven't followed everything that dina henshaw has done and i'm sure there's probably flaws and things that you can criticize her for no doubt but like holy shit like he's there's gonna be people who listen to this show and are now going to associate her with Jeffrey Epstein. And what are they going to do? You don't know that anyone's going to do anything, but someone might do something. You just said she's as bad as Jeffrey Epstein on your fucking show, you know? Remember when there were the hospital protests in Alberta and they found a bullet lodged in one of the office windows that had just been, like, stuck there for a couple days because nobody, like, had opened that curtain? Like... This is exactly, like, the sort of rhetoric that led to that already, like, a year ago. And it's just, like... No, it, yeah, it is like, a form of stochastic terrorism. Like, uh, you know. I, uh, I'm kind of stuck on the way that he frames Dina Hinshaw uh, being guilty of Epstein levels of depravity and <laughs> evil. Because he doesn't explain yeah. <laughs> how it's similar right like it like she she used a child's death like apparently that's <laughs> like jeffrey epstein wasn't john wayne gacy he was a sex trafficker like it just like the description 
that he used like was completely predicated like the only reason that comparison would work is if he didn't explain who Jeffrey Epstein is and if he just thought his audience was stupid enough to go along with it because like if you look no, at I think- if you compare uh the shitty example he gives and Jeffrey Epstein it's just like it's this it, yeah but this is like QAnon tier shit yeah i mean like he's 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 sort of been he he has never put down QAnon on a show. He's always been like, yeah, no, they're a little bit kooky out there, but like, you know, some things they say come true. Look at Jeffrey Epstein. Like, this is something that he said on his show like several times already. And so like when it comes to this, and like not only to to refer to it as satanic, so it's like you know these satanic pedophile rings that all these people are talking about, but then also associating with her with Jeff Epstein. Like, I think our his audience would like realize that he's not saying that she's like. Obviously, if you contrast the two, he's not saying that Dina Henshaw is like sex trafficking children, right? But then, and and raping them. But like, what he's doing is associating the two by saying like the behavior is the same, and like creating that association in his audience by saying that like they're the they're the pedophilic elite that are using dead children. Like this is like it's QAnon shit. Like it's it's <laughs> it's super fucked up, but that's what it is. And like maybe I'm just not Q pilled. I'm sorry to, <laughs> um, you know, admit that on your podcast. Uh, I I just think that leap is like, it relies on people just not really giving a shit about facts. Period. Why are they? That's that's rebels demographic though. That's <laughs> yeah. just, they've already left facts. <laughs> they're coming here for the raw emotions, right? They're not they're not showing up for the facts. It's so fucked up. I had like poor Dina Hinshaw. Like, I, I know, I know it's the fucking rebel, but like, if I ever got compared to Jeffrey Epstein because I I was a public servant doing my job and the job that I had got politicized by the right wing in the United States, and then people just started comparing me to Jeffrey Epstein, I would be sad. But the addition is: imagine being compared to Jeffrey Epstein by the same show that other mass killers have watched. Like, think about how fucked up that is, you know? <laughs> that is so fucked up. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, which is why, like, you know, uh, you got to highlight those little moments when they happen. Like, I don't know that anything's going to come of that, but it's still pretty fucked up for him. That, like, he went down to his whisper register. He was being deadly fucking serious, you know? He was t- trying to convey something to his audience, and uh, nothing he was conveying is good. <laughs> it's infuriating how often covering the rebels content makes you like empathize with yeah. <laughs> like you know with jason kenny's yeah. government <laughs> like because they're too far left you know is dina but dina henshaw i mean she was appointed by jason kenny right but like is she yeah, yeah. no she's bad well i imagine she's bad i'm just saying she at least is somewhat qualified to be where she is in terms of like being a medical uh, officer, right? Like she's, I'm just, I'm just saying she's not a COVID denialist. Is kind of what I'm kidding. She's a, <laughs> she doesn't complain. But neither is Jason Kenny. <laughs> true. Like, yeah, yeah. True. <laughs> I was just gonna say she's probably a better doctor than I am, but um, doesn't mean she's necessarily going to enact the best public policy because of it. No. 
or caved to certain pressures uh, given certain things or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she's still either way. I don't think she deserves this this degree uh, of comparison. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was the seventh. We are now on to the Friday, the the final day. And uh, you know, try to move off of the uh, evil stuff to uh, sillier stuff, I guess. <laughs> Ezra spends the whole opening monologue complaining that public health bureaucrats spent money on hotels during the pandemic and claiming that this was them living large while everyone else suffered during the lockdowns. And uh, at this point in the week, I was just like, I don't even care if this is true. <laughs> to me, like the way he described the thing, I'm like, this just sounds like they were using hotels while they were doing work in public health. Like, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> You after after you just compared one of them to Jeffrey Epstein. This is like lowering the stakes to me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is kind of like a, a bit of a leap to go between those two things too. It's like he's like, uh, this person's literally Jeffrey Epstein. Also, uh their their DM is too bulky. You know, like <laughs> and like I I actually would agree with the second thing. I think uh elected officials get paid a lot of money and they get to expense a whole lot of shit. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I think they should, uh, yeah. they should have to eat Burger King. Cause like, fuck it. This, why not? Um, <laughs> or we all get to eat good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, they have to suffer because they're politicians. I feel like that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think only politicians should be able to eat Burger King. Yeah, and that's all they get to eat. Cause <laughs> why not we're like an hour 40 into this we can just talk about whatever right that's how <laughs> well <laughs> at, at an hour and 40 we're going to get right into the heavy stuff because like well that's all i had to cover for that because I, I i really didn't care that much to get into it but we get right to the interview segment Ugh. and uh it's an interview with someone named franco terrazano oh, no. <laughs> who is uh of the tax he's he's the president of the taxpayer federation or part of the taxpayer federation either way <sighs> he's involved with the taxpayer federation which i think ezra used to be a part of at some point too so you know comrade in arms here with the uh the taxpayer group and uh he's on to cry about the new federal budget and and this is in a weird way the first time at all like they've come close to mentioning the like agreement with the NDP, but they still have not named it. Not once on his show since it has happened has he mentioned that the liberals are now working with the NDP on the next four years. It hasn't come up at all. You would think for a Canadian politics show, <laughs> this would be somewhat relevant. Uh, apparently not. I don't know if he, he can not. actually see the difference, right? It's just the left they're all yeah they're all out to get us um but i feel like it's important to tell your audience what a bunch of stupid dorks the canadian taxpayers federation is because it, it is like a a boardroom of people who just want uh rich people to be taxed less you know like it is just oh yeah they suck no I mean, I could gather that from this interview alone. I mean, he's been on before. Franco Terrazano is boring as hell. And everything that he says is just like, why are we paying taxes? And so it's just like, I don't care, Franco. Like, <laughs> I care so little it's about like, this. Franco, please leave. Please stop talking. Well, like, we, we recently on the show were, were talking about right-wingers and talking about economics. And Vienna was, like, convincing me that, like... Uh, that like right wingers 
are right about the economy because to them what the economy should be is like enriching rich people and like stuff like this but like i think part of what i was trying to articulate was they're just like factually wrong about reality when they're talking about the economy and that's the part that like annoys me that anyone should look at what they're saying and go that's not possible (laughs) 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 which like i know like as you even you sort of stipulated right here which they're just talking about getting rich people wealthy right but then it's like they lie about all the facts to get to the point of them saying ah yes let's let's get the rich people more wealth you know and then all their like uh, and i think vienno does uh uh I guess pathologize this correctly which is that then all the people are just like in their heads imagined millionaires already and so they go along with the the stupidity of it even though like again all these facts are complete bullshit you know <laughs> listen facts are all relative what matters is short-term profit <laughs> nothing else <laughs> i think that nails it though like their their main thing is like finding reasons to justify um why certain economic and social inequalities are just kind of natural states of being right like they're they're fine with it they're actually they're more than okay with people freezing to death outside divine right of kings forever and yeah, ever it just like i just wish more people could see it for what it is because people are like oh no they're just being you know uh fiscally responsible it's like no they're not they're giving kickbacks to their friends and they're letting us all rot. Yeah. Like, it's just like, no. Well, the, the, the first thing that he says that's completely wrong out of the gates is Franco compares government spending to using a credit card, nope. which is like the thing that like every economics professor like tells you about like the state of like federal budgets and stuff like this is that it's not the equivalent of a credit card. <laughs> That, like, you know, governments, surprisingly enough, are not uh, houses uh, with, like, they're not individuals spending money. They print the money. And there's other things that go into, like, being a, you know, the one who controls the money flow. (laughs) That makes it different than when you're, like, you're using a credit card. Uh, So that just right out of the gate is incorrect. But then Ezra asks Franco if there is anything on the high price of housing in the budget that was just released, okay? And the clip I'm going to play you is Franco immediately responding to that question, which you're going to find that it has nothing to do with the question itself, <laughs> except maybe, like, Franco's going to mention affordability, but just... And, and this will give you also just a taste of Franco and why, like, I really could care less about most of the things he says. But this is, again, Ezra asks him whether there's any mention about the high prices of housing in the budget, and then this is Franco riffing on that. Well, Ezra, the government likes to talk about affordability. And of course, so many Canadians are struggling right now. Many Canadians can't afford to fuel their cars with gasoline or to be able to purchase the ground beef at the grocery store. And the reason is, is because you have this federal government that has been spending like crazy for years, raising taxes and having the printing press on overdrive. (laughs) True. These families, they... We use a printing press to get our money. It's on overdrive. It's on overdrive. So, and you, you can't fill up your car with gas, so you're filling it with Gatorade, and you can't afford ground beef, so you're just eating whatever you can find. Uh, it's just like, this guy has no concept of reality. This guy doesn't eat ground beef like the rest of us. You know, 
<laughs> what, what what blew my mind about this line of inquiry, though, is the fact that Ezra would even ask this in the first place. And the funny thing is, you know, does it go far enough? No. Is it what I would do? No. But there are things in the budget that address housing. <laughs> Now, one of them, every, like everyone on the left has highlighted for being ridiculous, and I 100% agree, which is the uh, cutting out foreign buyers and stuff like this. But there was some stuff in there having to do with giving a benefit to people creating like housing co-ops. And there was another thing for like helping municipalities zone better to uh, create both affordable housing and uh, just more development. And some of those things might help. I don't think I personally would have given more money to the co-ops and stuff like this. Like... There's tons of things that they could have done, but like, hey, four billion to co-ops, sure, why not? <laughs> you know? But like again, other things are, are uh silly, stupid, and you can criticize them all you want. But the, the weird thing is, again, Ezra poses this question, because it seems to me that even Ezra hasn't read the budget. <laughs> and then it doesn't even seem like Franco's read the budget, because he didn't <laughs> he clearly was like, I'm not gonna address this question. I'm just gonna be like, tax is bad. Prices high, inflation go burr, uh, <laughs> printing press on overdrive. <laughs> I, it, I do think that there is a habit of shows that are like hyper partisan. That I mean, I I don't know if the rebel ever actually cared about making substantive points, but like every every talking point really is to own the other guys. Right. Like it's always just it's scoring points. And so like this is like it's it's a budget. Uh liberals spend too much. Spend, 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 taxes, taxes, inflation. Like and that that clip was kind of the perfect example of that, where Ezra asked a pointed <laughs> question. Like there was he wanted a specific answer. <laughs> and Franco's like, hey, inflation. Like Yeah. <laughs> But Ezra didn't ask a follow-up either, so it's like Ezra was perfectly satisfied with that <laughs> he didn't give a response. Shit, no. He's just like, yeah, of course. My... <laughs> oh, it's so it's so fucking incredible. Uh, yeah, and then we, we get the inflation stuff, and I just... Uh, I feel like this is worth highlighting, because this is another thing that I think even people listening into this are probably confused about, so... Uh, not just the people who would listen to Franco or Ezra, but uh, Franco says you can't solve inflation with more spending. And every like everyone who says this uh, never seems to be capable of explaining why. Uh, <laughs> uh, especially when like there's examples in history, like for example the Great Depression, where spending actually did help to curb <laughs> inflation in various ways, like. And and whenever the two thousand eight recession, like I, I've read so many articles, like I keep reading them. These like think pieces by like I'm, I'm Joe Schmo who works for big corporate bank. I think that spending increases inflation, and you keep reading, and nowhere do they explain why this is the case. It's just it's like they just say it, and they anticipate that everyone reading it should just understand that that's a holy truth, that like you must like take on and not like be critical of when it's like there's no data for this there's no evidence <laughs> jody that's how the economy works yeah. <laughs> there were rumors about a possible sh shortage in wheat exports to the tune of 0.9 percent of the global wheat supply because of russia and ukraine <laughs> 
the response by not idiot countries. <laughs> India just planted more wheat and it was like, hey, we'll reroute our like exports so that we'll cover the countries that were like reliant on Russian and Ukrainian wheat exports. The US and Europe and Canada all of the investors panicked and started stockpiling wheat <laughs> and drove the price to like, you know, double the amount because somebody wrote a think piece saying that there might be a wheat crisis and it caused them to panic and it caused that thing to happen, which is exactly what's happening with inflation, where it's like everybody's saying like, oh, no, there's inflation, there's inflation. So inflation goes up because companies realize like, oh, we can pass on costs to the consumer and that's it. That's how the economy works. <laughs> I mean, like, yes, I think the interesting thing is, though, uh, I have seen some good writing on this, including in the Toronto Star. So I did, uh, uh, in talking about where inflation is coming from, because there's been sort of like two predominant theories that you'll read that are like almost everywhere. One is from the people who believe that it's like from the COVID relief, that like, if we just didn't give people COVID relief, we wouldn't have... Uh, if we didn't give it to them, we wouldn't have inflation. And there's almost no evidence that that's the case. In fact, like you read studies and like I'll get to a, a quote in a second. There's almost no evidence that shows or even like the studies that I looked at. I think it said there's like a net zero effect. And like you think about it this way. It's like, again, you throw a dollar in there to somebody. That person then goes and pays for something and it stimulates the economy. Right. It's not where does the increase of of the prices happen there. Like, how does, like, the one create the other, you know? <laughs> I think it's fascinating that everybody who says that the the COVID uh, relief packages were the things that crippled the economy, I think it's so interesting how they all blame CERB and none of them ever blamed the uh, the energy bailouts yeah. or uh, CEWS. They're not interested in those, even though they're much larger. Or the ones that bailed out the companies directly. Yeah, yeah. For for like operating costs. And yeah, stuff. That, that's what like, CWS was. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, yeah. It's it's always about like, oh, those poor's got the monies, yeah. and that's why the inflation go burr. <laughs> exactly, and it's like, oh, th I work for my money. It's like, yeah, well, I don't care. <laughs> I don't yeah. care at all. It's also funny because like in most cities serb probably didn't like cover you know cost of living cost of rent type of thing type of expenses so it's not as if like you know anybody's like anything was going up particularly like it wasn't like oh wow this is a real like windfall on me because i'm suddenly making the equivalent of minimum wage it was like two thousand a month yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rent here. Well, it was like 1800 because they then had to take taxes of off. Yeah, that would cover um rent in a, you know, one bedroom basement apartment in Toronto. So like I I guess you don't have to eat food to be alive. That's true, right? Mm. Everybody okay? Everybody agrees you don't have to eat food or take a <laughs> yeah, bus yeah. to get to anywhere or, you know, eating's not a right, it's a privilege. Right. Shit. Versus giving, like, endless millions to Galen Weston to, like, keep grocery stores open. Maintain or whatever. their yacht. Like, yeah. Gotta maintain yeah. the yachts. Can't. 
So, I mean, like, that's number one is like uh, that excuse for why inflation is happening. The other is the supply chain thing. And there's more truth to that in that, like, COVID has fucked up supply chains. And if you're like having delays, you can't get much uh, your product going out. People are going to raise products to compensate for like late supplies, et cetera. There's some evidence that 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 is going on. And uh, I have every reason to believe that that's true. And and yeah, you know, we just went through, we're still going through a global pandemic. People are getting sick. The truck driver, you know, if a truck, all the truck drivers are sick and no one's delivering the goods, right? This is, uh, this is how it goes, you know? But the one thing that you mentioned, Vienna, which is like just finally starting to get reported on, is that there is another element of the inflation. And so this was uh, reported by uh, Jacob Loran or Lorink in the Toronto Star. And so I'm going to read a bit from his article. It says, two new reports released this week suggest that a substantial proportion of the inflation Canadian consumers are experiencing today are attributable to companies boosting their prices well beyond the rate at which they are paying for their supplies. One of those studies, published Tuesday by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, theorizes that Canada's present rate of inflation would be at least a quarter lower were it not for the gains these companies have made on price hikes. We always, and then this is a quote, we always think there's this complicated story we have to tell about inflation, about government spending, about too much money chasing too few goods. But I think it can be boiled down to a much simpler story. The companies are taking advantage of this situation by increasing their prices to pad their profits, said David McDonald, senior economist at the CCPA and author of the study. Uh, and so if you go on and you read the study, so I'm no longer talking about the article, but uh, David McDonald's study goes on to suggest that 26% of the current inflation that we're experiencing right now is due to this kind of profiteering. So this is just companies going, hey, everyone's talking about profiteering uh, or, or everyone's talking about inflation. So they're expecting this. Let's raise our prices and get a, a couple of bucks. That's that's all this fucking is. A bunch of crooks. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Ugh. Well, this is how the economy goes, Burr. <laughs> no, but it must be the Serbs, you know? It can't it can't at all be that like corporations would seize on an emotional moment and like take advantage of people. No, it has to be that the, the poor's got a little a trickle. The poor's got a trickle, and then that's what's killing the economy right now. I just I like I like that to some or I don't like it. I actually I hate it very much and it makes me very angry. But the idea that individuals um can be conniving but corporations couldn't possibly seems to permeate certain spaces in society yeah. and it's like the opposite is is the truth but like no no amount of evidence would ever convince some people it seems but it's obvious like corporate boards can diffuse responsibility you know like if i make a shitty decision that's like it's on me but if you make it as a board, then it was like, well, like, was I the one who cast the final vote to choose this man? I could go home and like sleep comfortably knowing that like the others would have done it without me. So I just, <laughs> you know, uh, this, you know, there's tons of like, you know, speaking of uh, uh, philosophy, like tons of ethical papers and ethical studies have been done on those effects. Like corporations are, are if anything, worse, you know. But uh, but here we are. <laughs> I can connive to increase the price of canola oil by buying like two or three bottles when it's on sale. <laughs> Corporations can do a lot more than that. 
which is why the price has like doubled in the past two years. Oh, I mean, that was the other thing about the McDonald's study. Like, it's clear that some people are doing the stuff to raise like prices, but then it's like some might just be like maintaining profits. And then it's like, so at the end of the day, they're just going, you know, I don't have to raise that. Like, if I don't raise, I'll have lower profits than I did the previous year. So I might as well just raise them a little bit so I can maintain the profit. But then it's like, why do you? Why don't you just take a hit on your profits for a year? Why, why don't you just do that, Jody? That would make the money sad. Yeah. It would make the money sad. <laughs> well, business people are psychopaths, right? Like, uh, I remember talking to someone who was worried about their company um, taking on some losses in the year, and then they showed me the numbers, and I was just like, oh, that's like uh, <laughs> trying to keep it not not descriptive but uh the numbers were higher we live than the... on one two three fake street yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like it's so hard to tell stories without like um giving away information you know what i mean like you got to be like careful um yeah. the numbers were higher their sales were higher uh the year following but they had set ambitious targets that they were not meeting and they were treating that as a loss oh and i'm just God. like that's not how numbers work that's <laughs> <laughs> not even a little bit my favorite anecdote about like business types is that um the university of western ontario has like this big business school ivy and it was built only like i don't know like 10 years ago now maybe like it's quite recent the new the new building and um it was built on a swamp hell yeah and it is a less than 10-year-old multi-million dollar building that has cracks in the foundations already because they didn't properly drain the swamp that they built it on. <laughs> so the building is sinking and is going to fall apart very quickly. <laughs> and it's just like the perfect metaphor <laughs> for business school. <laughs> like, Are, like. Yeah, Jesus. Ivy was always the worst, too, with the union. They were constantly trying to, like, create carve-outs for TA ships so that, like, they wouldn't technically qualify as a TA. And yet all their, like, job specifications were exactly what TAs are supposed to do. Yep, they were like, they're not TAs. They're essays. They're student assistantships, not teacher assistants. And so, uh, therefore, we can pay them half the wages that you do as your union positions. Uh and they would do that shit all the fucking time because it's, yeah, you know, universities are also profit machines, just like corporations and everything sucks. <laughs> since, since we're just going off on business school tangents, I've only been to Ivy the one time because like somebody wanted to like do a study room there when I was going to university. And I remember just like walking into the building and being like, this smells evil. <laughs> like, it smells too sterile. And then I got into the elevator and there was just like the overwhelming smell of just shitty weed. And I was like, okay, finally. A place that smells human. Uh, yep, I think that ends it. Okay, 
links I got this week. First one for readings. Um, it's a very short book from Punctum Books uh, and Samuel Chambers that I love called There's No Such Thing as the Economy, Essays on Capitalist Value. Um, and like the first section in particular is like a very accessible just like introduction to like why the economy is just like a totally made up thing. Like it's just it's just lies and like things that people say that they then believe. Uh, and it starts off with like a big narrative about like the 2008 financial crisis and is just like really wonderfully written. And then the second part is like very niche like Marx shit that's also wonderful um but like requires a bit of grounding in like Marxism to get into really. Um and the other link that I have is uh oh sorry and for the there's no such thing as the economy uh the link is to the book itself uh but there's a free pdf from the publisher's website so it's not like it costs money necessarily um and the second link is uh the london food bank is doing a their like spring fundraising thing um and they've been seeing uh, due to the increased cost of living, they've been seeing, like, a huge increase in the number of people requiring their, like, food services in order to survive. Um, I think they were talking about, like, a 30% increase or something crazy like that. Like, it is just, you know, they're feeding, like, more than, like, 1% or 2% of the city at this point, um, which is just, like, absurd. And, you know, this is an increase on top of the increase from last year, on top of the increase from the year before type of thing. Um, so they're doing their spring like fundraising thing and donate money because they can buy way more food than like through a can drive or whatever it would be that you are buying with like, you know, your own physical food if you're even in London. Um, yeah, that's, that's my stuff this week. It's getting really bad out there too. Like I had to, for like weird uh, reasons, drive like the whole length of our city today. But like, even like going over the Thames in like two or three different spots, uh, there there's like tents just lined up along the river where people are, are sleeping out down there. And so it's uh, so yeah yeah. On on that note, if we want to get into like the local discussions a little bit, um, what happened was. Um, all of the funding that Ontario had allocated to the city of London to fund all of the like winter homelessness um, relief programs ran out despite London, like repeatedly asking the province for them to like renew the funding or like give them some extra money to tie them over. Um, and Ontario, the government just didn't respond, like not even said no, they were just like ignoring it. And so all of the funding ran out and all of the places that were housing people over the winter just threw them back into the streets so we are in for a rough few months until hopefully that funding kicks back in or maybe we'll have a new provincial government that will help with things more um but yeah no like things are rough it's it's not a great time out there and we said it last week too like in terms of harm reduction you know this is this is one of the things we're voting might be at least uh moderately helpful to people so Keep that in mind, yeah. you know, again, electoralism, boo, you know, it, it sucks. And uh, politicians, they all suck. But like, uh, yeah, keep that in mind. Uh, but before we close out, I will say uh, thank you, Eric, so much for coming on. 
uh the, we went like maybe 20 minutes longer than normal but like you know uh three people it, it extends our already long show a little longer but uh we loved uh we loved doing it. i mean i probably could have tamed the script beforehand but like uh, it wasn't clear whether we were doing a three-way or not <laughs> uh-huh which is what this is well. it's a definite three-way i'm not i'm not gonna yeah, change yeah. my language you have we're keeping it in. no reason to change your language honestly every <laughs> second of this episode was so much fun and i'm sorry i i think i got loopy about like an hour and 50 in started talking about burger king i don't know why um that just that just <laughs> happened so i i apologize for being myself i guess i hope you have me back sometime soon and uh and if you thought I wasn't entirely insufferable and you, you like Imperial News, you should check out Big Shiny Takes. It's a pretty good podcast. And, and I would concur. It's I a also, very good podcast. Yes, and with Vienna, I, I also enjoyed the podcast. Uh, I will say, we, we were going to hint, uh, Eric and I might be doing something for the patrons of both our shows, maybe, once we work out the kinks. But we wanted to tease it now that there might be some additional content in, in the future. So... Uh, stay tuned for that and uh and yeah go listen to big shiny takes if you're not listening to big shiny takes i don't know why you're not listening to big shiny takes because you should be listening to big shiny takes you know uh <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> get out of here all right and if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far please consider giving us a few bucks over on patreon.com imperial news if you want to stay informed about what we're doing you can also find us on twitter at imperial news of the z we have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel. And uh, you can find all the links in the show notes uh, of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And Noam Chomsky, you're still alive. But Gilbert Gottfried, you're canceled. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields? You look confused, Vienna, but Gilbert Godfrey just died. <laughs> and he would have appreciated that joke.